0: we're set up, we're ready to go. I need to. Do you have anything like right off the top of your head that you're thinking right this instant before I I go on a little uh, thing that I would have said on a solo podcast? But I feel like it'll spark something in your mind. So do no, you wanna... go
1: for it. Go for it. I oh. got I got all my stuff written down. So
0: okay, cool. Well, I actually start with one question, then I'll go into my my thing. Um, do you ever feel guilty when you haven't skated in a while?
1: Well, do you have an answer for that that you want to talk about?
0: <laughs> no, that was actually just a question for you.
1: It was. Because <laughs> okay, it's a vice of mine often to to ask someone, hey, do you know such and such kind of feeling or situation? And I'm not really asking them a question. I really just want to tell them what I think. And it's just a kind of a fake courtesy to try to ask them what they, what they think too.
0: You know what? I think I do that all the time. So it's a, that's man, probably it's exactly what question. I did. Um, but what I'm thinking of... I went skating this morning and it's kind of related to the last podcast. I was uploading all these kind of older sections, not super old, but like seven years old. And okay. I realized that, uh, what I was trying to do in aggressive skates was, was kind of like maybe I needed a different kind of skate. So that's why we're trying some stuff in big wheels. But I feel like, um, the big wheels are limiting in some ways and aggressive skates are limiting in some ways. And it was uh, when you commented on the Kevin Dowling post, when he posted that roll line skill frame, you were talking oh. about... um, oh, I can't... You had obviously a really intelligent way of saying it, but that uh, you can't mix all the things that you want in a skate. And I, and I feel like some of the stuff that I've tried to do and I can't speak for Todd, but some of my tricks and ideas look extra bad because of the limitations of the technology and I'm not using the right thing to to do what I'm trying to do sometimes. Um, so that's just kind of what I wanted to start with, if that makes any sense at all. That, yeah uh, well
1: I think I, I I said something about it being an object lesson in uh in, in Venn diagramming because um what what you have and I haven't really spent a lot of time thinking about this, but I what I think that what I think is required in or what i think that you can get out of any skate is one of four things and i think those four things are speed stability cornering and the ability to grind and in, in in my view i don't think that you can get more than two or three of those in a skate i think that the holy grail of of frame design and skate design is to try to create a skate that has all four um, but i think that you know speed and stability kind of go together because they're talking about size and length, you know, size of wheels and length of wheelbase. Yeah. Um, but cornering, cornering, I don't think a lot of people pay any attention to, and, and you see that, it's a pet peeve of mine that, you know, so much of what goes on in rollerblading, I mean, 90% of us, I think, skate anti-rocker, and it's just, it's awful. It's really awful. Like, it's not a, it's not a skate designed to do the kinds of shit that we do. Um and, and and people people have, have adjusted their skating to uh, accommodate anti rocker for the grinding purposes, but the actual performance of rollerblading with an anti rocker setup is just really miserable. I mean, I get why people do it because grinding's really fun, but yeah, you know, it, it's the it's the sacrifice to get grinding where you're giving up cornering entirely. And I think I think speed you're not really giving up as much speed, but there's definitely better ways to to get a lot of speed
0: the cornering oh go ahead
1: Riding like 62s um and that's that's cool um cody sanders i think rides like 62s on blank frames yeah and his setup is high as shit dude i mean he's like three inches off the ground
0: yeah those are pretty high frames i think you can you can even fit more than 62s in those possibly or is that the max
1: i think that they'll go bigger than that dude I, i i've I can't, I can't speak with, with uh, a lot of detail, but I know that they'll take, they might take like fucking 67s or something.
0: Holy, can you even get, you'd, you'd have to find like old 67s if you found them. Yeah,
1: you'd have to get some Eric Shrine Toy Killers or something. Is that,
0: what is he in for 62s? Like what can you find for a 62mm wheel these days? They, they're old wheels Oh, that
1: I, I don't actually know. I have oh, no okay. idea what he's riding. He moved to Austin, supposedly. He moved back to Austin yesterday. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, but uh, I don't want to gossip too much about that, but uh, okay. I think that he moved back yesterday, and uh, I haven't actually seen him yet, because he only got back last night, but um, I know that he rides, I think he rides blank frames, and he rides huge-ass wheels, and that's much about as much as I know about it.
0: Yeah, I've been on the blank frames a little bit with 60s, but they do feel pretty tall, so I wonder, I don't even know if I have wheels to experiment to put in oh, more than that size. Um but what I was going to say, with uh, with these bigger wheels and the rockered frames filming for this uh, newer video, we've discovered like some of the best, most surprising stuff we've done has been these little accidents kind of between tricks, how we go from point A to point B. And A and B isn't that interesting, but how we cornered around that bench or when you did a couple crossovers from fakie to forwards the way that you led with your foot. Um, that stuff is, I think, what could give rollerblading some identity in the long run not that i'm doing anything close to how amazing it'll look in the far future but um little things like i remember farmer did a thing where he gapped a set and had to turn really quickly uh-huh. and then grind a ledge there's little things like that where the space between the the gap on the stairs and the grind down the ledge um could become a lot more interesting and uh
1: yeah, I agree. I, I agree with that. Um, I think the the, the the one that I would point to is, is one for the old schoolers. And uh, it was like, I don't know, it was one of the old BGs and it had a pelt section with Eric Burke and all those guys. Yeah. And uh, there was a there's a great clip. I don't know where in the section it is, but it's a clip of Eric, Eric Burke and he does a front side on this curved rail. And it's really beautiful the way that he like, it's kind of, it's not really UFO, but it's just kind of an Eric Burke. Front side, I guess. Yeah. And he, he does the rail, and the rail makes like a U-turn, and he goes right around it, like really leaning into the curve. And then he jumps off and then like makes a little turn and goes to the right down the rest of the handicap ramp. And he's wearing, um, he's wearing like K2s of some kind. I don't think that they're fatties, but it's like back when he was wearing King 55s or something like that. Yeah. But just the little, the little turn that he makes uh, to turn to go down the, the, the rest of the handicap ramp um, oh, it just—it just, oh, it's beautiful. It just sends a shiver down my spine, and it's—it's it's one of the things that I think that only about 10% of us paid attention to. Um, and I'm pretty confident that he was riding flat, um, and not rockered, uh, and definitely not anti-rockered. But um, I've been—I've been, I've been uh, forcing people to skate around in my skates a little bit lately. Just
0: and-
1: because it's it's been something of a pet peeve that people have been saying rockered and meaning anti-rockered and i'm I'm you know kind of saying all right well you know look let me explain what rockering means and put my skates on and skate around and people put them on and fall on their back and cruise around and have a good time and then they take them off they hand them back to me and they say it's really fun and then they say i don't fucking see how you skate like that
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i remember a couple reactions like that when i let people did they do like the instant turny motion too
1: yeah, they just stand there and wiggle their feet in place.
0: Yeah. You well, know, because you even, can. Even, like, just, like, really quick turns. They'll go in a straight line, but they'll they'll just naturally start doing little S-curves.
1: Oh, yeah, and, like, slalom turning, like yeah. on a ski hill. Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: It's weird how the setup intuitively just makes you want to turn. And then, yeah. obviously, oh, yeah. their first instinct, do they try, like, a grind and then stick or something like that and fall?
1: Uh, well, I've, I've been doing this mostly at these box sessions that we have on Sundays, uh, and we have a grind box that's really badass. Um, and I've got a little baby P rail that's like an inch off the ground. And even even with a rockered setup, you can still go in royale or front side of rail without catching wheel bite.
0: Definitely, definitely. Do Plus, find-
1: I'm, I'm I'm back to riding these. Um, I'm back to riding these Kaiser Element frames. You know, the metal ones with the plastic bits that bolt on the side. Yeah. And the split in the middle is enormous. I mean, I haven't measured it, and I can't tell you millimeters, but uh, it's huge. I can fit. I mean, I'm, I'm a big-ass dude, and I can fit all, all my whole hand in between the, the, the middle gap. And my buddy Mick just told me about how the H block is reversible. And on one side, it's got a really deep groove for anti-rocker. And on the other side, you can flip over the H block, and it's really shallow. And Mick was always skating it in the shallow position, and I was always skating. Getting it in a deep position, and since I've flipped it, it's made a humongous difference. And I haven't gotten wheel bite in
0: a minute. It's been really good. What are those? The newest element frames, or I guess they stopped making them.
1: No, they stopped making them. They're pretty old. I, I got them from a guy named Ran West who lives in uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. I think he's a pretty good guy. It's we've got we've got a good forum on uh, Facebook called Texas Blading, uh, and another one called Austin Blading that everybody's in. And uh, it's a really good area for people to find stuff that they're looking for. People can decide they want to make a new setup and go on and say, "Hey, is any, does anybody remember such and such a skate part? Has anybody got those?" And having you know three or four hundred people in the in the area or in the you know Texas in general, uh, there's a lot of shit in boxes and garages and attics and closets. You know, there's a lot of skate parts available.
0: Oh yeah, I always I always uh, want to shed a tear when I think about the amount of stuff amazing stuff in landfills too. I do, you
1: know, I, I, I'm gonna write that down. I've been really, really, really wanting to write a second place article uh, to research about um, the rate of decay for urethane because <laughs> hey, I threw away, um, and I think Andrew Broom uh, threw away both at my house recently. Two humongous garbage bags full of just fucking used up wheels. Yeah, and oh my god, those things are probably gonna be here forever dude, I can't imagine those things biodegrade you know so I think I, there's a great bad religion song called the index fossil and it talks about this idea in geology which is an index fossil, which is where uh, when you find out when something lived, you can use it to uh, catalog all the other things that're you know geologically nearby yeah uh, and so we have certain things like the uh, trilobites which are those sort of uh, those weird little they look like horseshoe crabs. kinda, and these really old ancient things anyway, they're a fossil record so if you find one of those things you know exactly how old everything else is and the Bad Religion Song is talking about how um, humanity itself will become an index fossil and the things that come after us if they have any kind of archaeology will know exactly what the ages of panda bears and anything else they find because they were uh, co-habitating in time with with humans and they'll be able to pinpoint exactly when these certain animals lived uh, and just because the the scale of the debris that we're going to leave behind as a species is going to be astronomical literally in you know literally
0: <laughs> and urethane wheels they'll be And plenty urethane of them. wheels
1: will be sitting there and somebody in the future some alien or something is going to be looking at a John Star medium wheel being like why would you put a car, why
0: would you put a picture of a car on a wheel <laughs> I I still and think have- about uh, the second place article um the rubber polyurethane it was Nazi boots
1: oh yeah 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 um, oh yeah shit I didn't I didn't prep at all for that I kind of no, that's okay I that wrote it all down and then I haven't looked at it since
0: but uh, people yeah, should definitely the... check that one out that yeah the
1: Germans, the Germans around the turn of the last century were uh, really the pioneers of, of modern chemistry and they invented about half of, more than half of the shit that we know about uh, as far as all these different kinds of plastics and you know different kinds of polymers and things like that, and uh, the actual urethane itself was yeah it was it was uh, invented by uh, oh god what's the name of that fucking
0: company? Dupont no
1: no Dupont's American
0: oh yeah of course that sounds very American.
1: Um, give me I got it right here give me one second okay. Where did it go? Where
0: did it go? That means, like, their boots must have been that much better because of that.
1: I feel like they were probably pretty decent boots compared to the other rest of the guys trying to go to war in leather-bottomed shoes.
0: So they were really into inventing stuff. They is that uh, German engineering? Is that that's just a thing? They're just they have minds that can make awesome stuff. I don't get that. They they make a lot of good stuff, good quality stuff.
1: I I think I, yeah, I think that there's a lot of cultural. Reasons. Reasons for it, um, but they um, there's there's a really good series by a guy named James Burke called Connections, and he does a whole series on why the Germans started inventing uh, um, dye in the first place. So for forever, clothing was just kind of whatever color you got, uh, and the Germans invented uh, all the dyes, which are really hard to manufacture, um, and and their their knowledge that they got from from the dye. Um, sort of the, doing the chemistry that's involved in figuring out how to make dye is uh, it, it gave them a huge head start as far as uh, their development in chemistry. The other thing is, culturally, they value education probably more than anybody in the world. They've had universities. The university in the town that I was born in, Heidelberg, has been there since I think 1250 and it's still open.
0: Wait, you're anyway. born, you were born in Germany?
1: I was, yeah. In Heidelberg, it's in uh, Baden-Württemberg. In the, uh it's just it's by Frankfurt. Is where the closest thing is.
0: I did not know that.
1: That the, okay. So the, the company, real fast. Well, what well, I've got it in front of me is uh, I.G. Farben, and they're the same guys who manufactured Zyklon B, which is what they used uh, to to you know exterminate everybody in the death camps. And the uh, the guy the guy who who invented it was a guy named Otto Bayer, O T T O, and then Bayer. And it's totally not to be confused with the uh, American company called Bayer that makes aspirin.
0: Yeah, because inst- I instantly made that connection in my brain. Um, it's a good name though, Otto Bayer.
1: Otto that- Bayer, yeah. I mean, yeah, as far as Nazi names go, <laughs> if you want to name your children after Nazis, I guess Otto Bayer is a decent... I don't know that he was a Nazi, but he definitely did all their work, so.
0: <laughs> is, and uh, so is Powerslide, are they German? I think that no.
1: Ooh, you know, I don't actually know anything about that. But I still didn't write it down that I need to write an article about urethane decay. Uh, oh, yeah.
0: Sorry. that's That was the the big full circle there. Yeah, you got to write that down.
1: Urethane decay. Yeah, that's we true. can come back to that when we... Because at some point I'd like to talk about some upcoming second place articles. Because well, I'm, I'm getting back on the fucking horse with that. I'm going to write these goddamn things. Do
0: you, yeah, because you don't have any... I was thinking that you may have like had some written and then you were just going to release them when you want to. But I'm sure... Uh, yeah, you're incredibly busy right now. So
1: There's like five of them that are half written, and there's probably five more that are just ideas that I'm still kicking around.
0: Oh, that's good, though, because that, that means stuff probably pops up when you're just like driving your car or walking around that you can quickly write down and then add to it.
1: Well, that's the thing that, that drives me crazy about it, is that uh, especially when I first started it last year... Um, a whole lot of shit happened, and I really thought that I would be a good person to weigh in and and comment on some of these things, but Second Place itself hadn't really started yet, and so I wasn't in a position to do any kind of analysis before anybody knew what the hell it was. Um, Not that there's a lot of people out there who know what it is, but, you know, anyway, the handful of people who read what I write, um, oh, I don't know, just... Yeah, it, I, I want to get a couple of these out so that I can start doing some current event things because some current event things keep popping up and I just think, I, I'm not ready yet. I can't have that be the first one I need to do. But I'm just in my head about it and I need to get over it.
0: To do with skating? Current event?
1: Yeah, there's stuff that crops up all the time. I mean, all the time. Uh, the, uh, the these Do you know who Toto Gali is? Yeah. So he was just in Austin like a week ago and he he and a bunch of other guys, including Joey Egan... Uh, stayed here at my house or at my old house. We just my wife and I just moved into a new house, um, and it's been hectic as fuck. Uh, but, um, yeah, those guys were badass, and there was a ton of stuff that I could have written about those guys as far as ideology and exploration and and uh, rollerblading culture and language and all those kinds of things. And it would have been great to write it like the day after they left my house, but I had a hundred things going on, and I haven't written a second place article yet this year, so. I just balked. I've got to come back to it. I might write that as my first one. I don't know. Well, that sounds exciting. Joey Egan's Irish, right? Yeah, he's kind of he's 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 real Irish. I mean, he's through and through Irish. But I think that he to, he, he told me that he lived in uh, in London since about like age ten or something. So he's been in London really most of his life. I think he's been back to uh, Ireland to live in Dublin here and there a couple of times. But his 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 accent is much more uh, Londoner than than Irish.
0: Okay, I th- was he the dude who just won uh, best trick? Yeah, yeah, for that
1: corkscrew seven twenty or McPherson. Oh
0: man, amazing! That that's like a. I, I just love the way that trick looks. I've never done anything close to that ever on my skates, but when other people do it, I get really excited.
1: It's a yeah, it's a it's a baller ass trick, dude. I mean, it's it, you're in the sky when you're doing that, and it, plus, it was a huge ramp, dude. It yeah. was like. Two is like a ten foot quarter quarter pipe across like a twelve foot bank or something. Yeah. Another ten foot quarter pipe.
0: Yeah, it would have been a highlight in the late nineties if someone just you know gapped between that thing. Yeah. yeah now someone's throwing a seven twenty. Uh, probably one of my favorite ones of all time is uh, Latimer does one in feet mm. uh, between two concrete quarters, and it's oh, just yeah. it's so perfect. At Total Galley was the first person. Uh, we were at the Warp Tour in '98 or '99. Daily Bread would give like um, free passes, I think, because they yeah. were one of the sponsors. And and Total Galley was on the Warp Tour, and that was the first time I saw the Remedy skates. And I'm I'm not even sure oh, cool. if I would seen the ad at that point, but it was really cool to see the way he used them on the ramp because his style looked way different than uh, mm-hmm. than normal ramp skating. So I I would love to know more history uh, behind that. Did you talk he's, to?
1: He's- He's a badass dude. He, he broke his back a couple of years ago, and he's been in recovery for a long time. And he's skating now. He skated while he was here. Um, but I think I think he was on a big ass trip from New York to, to California. They were road tripping, and uh, they. I think he was kind of taking it easy. And he's just he's just fun to be out on the skates. And and that goes back to your original question from the beginning of the conversation, which was, Do I ever feel guilty about it? And I haven't felt guilty. Lately, but there was definitely a time when I was only using uh, a pair of King 55s that Jake Barnes had bought for me off eBay to uh, walk my dog, (laughs) and it had been like six months since I'd been to the skate park or done a rail or anything like that, Yeah, and I probably felt a little bit guilty, like, I need to go out there and just grind something and jump something, and and I was really pleased that that the the ability hadn't really left me that much at that point.
0: Really? Uh, Because... It's, I swear, aggressive skating is one of the rustiest. Like, if you don't do it for a few months, those first few grinds are so shaky, at least for me. So it came back to you pretty quickly.
1: Well, I mean, you know, if I wanted to do everything, there'd be a lot of stuff that was shaky. I definitely agree that, like, first soul grind, you're like, oh, wait, your body's kind of, oh, yeah, this is how it goes. You know, this is exactly, I remember. Okay, all right, we're good. We're good. Go ahead, do whatever you want. (laughs) Um... But, but you know, there's a lot of stuff that, that for me doesn't really go away, like a, a porn star on Coping, like an elite porn star on Coping or a Misfit. I could do that. I could do that at any point ever on anything. I just, but, you know, a switch True Top Soyal, that'll take a while, you know what I mean?
0: But you got that?
1: It, I can do it on, I can do, yeah, I can do it on the, on our little box that we've got. We, I'm, we're, I'm, there's Oh, there's a huge article that I'm going to write about math, about the rhetoric of math in rollerblading. And uh, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a really good one. I was working with two math- or a, a physicist and a mathematician from UT um, to, to do the math to figure out the force dynamics on a box that we're going to raise. And uh, it's, really, it's going to be really, really fucking
0: cool. Which sound, <laughs> it sounds amazing. <laughs> it's, uh, there's no place in rollerblading that, that can get the brain thinking like after reading your articles. I can't like can you well, think that's,
1: of, that's very kind of you. I appreciate that. I may much. have said
0: that last time too, but I can't think of any like there's never been a video series or article or podcast or any that the way that it breaks things down. And I think I said that too. So Yeah, I'm excited. well excited.
1: I appreciate that very much and that's 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 I guess one of one of a handful of aims that I try to try to accomplish with with second place is just to, to, to bring a pretty foreign um, a pretty foreign way of looking at something um, you know to, to look at rollerblading stuff that we're all experts at I think that's something that I really want to try to push more is that it's not me being an expert telling people what what they don't know and listen to me and I know what's right and wrong uh, Everybody who's listening to this is an expert at rollerblading knowledge. Um and one of one of the ways that, that we judge um what's called uh L1 proficiency in, in linguistics, which is you know if you can speak in your native language, uh we we look at whether you have um, whether you have the ability to determine whether something sounds right or not. Yeah. And and it's 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 a it's a really big deal. It's called native speaker intuition. And You know, if you say something and you have to kind of stop and think about it and say, wait, does that sound right? Wait, no, 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 it doesn't sound right. Okay, you would say it this way. And people can do that. No matter what level you are at rollerblading, we have native speaker intuition for rollerblading discourse, where you can say, you wouldn't say a soul alley-oop, you would say an alley-oop soul. And, you know, people are are experts at it, just like people are experts at driving. Um, And so, you know, having somebody tell you what you already know uh, is, is rude, frankly. But, you know, what I'm, what I'm trying to do is, is tell, offer a different perspective where people can see that the stuff that they already know can be elaborated upon and, and can, can take you to really interesting places. And there's, there's a lot of stuff.
0: Lucy, shush. Hey, hey, hey. Sorry. Lucy, shush, shh, shush. Um, I've had girlfriends before listen to uh, us speak in the back of a cab drunkenly, me and Todd and Mason way back when, and they actually don't know what we're talking about. And it's like 100% blade speak. Yeah, absolutely. Like there might be a couple words that they can make out, but if we're talking about a session earlier on in the day or things that we want to do, it's, I mean, it's not a completely different language, but uh, it comes close.
1: It's a discourse. It's a discourse. Just like if you were listening to Doctors... Or lawyers, or anybody else in a in a discourse community, uh, speaking, you wouldn't know what they're saying. But and, and and because we're not members of that discourse community, but we are members of the rollerblading discourse community, and and we're really really good at it, and we have native speaker intuition for it, which means that we can determine on our own what sounds right, and there needs be no authority to come down and write articles saying, okay, fellas, we need to get rid of half cab and start using in spin because I said so. <laughs> you know we don't we don't need that everybody has native speaker intuition and so we really don't we don't need that kind of central authority in rollerblading because we're doing
0: fine on our own did we talk about that at all do you have a take on half cab or in-spin or anything like that do you do you care if it's if someone says half cab or full cab i feel like those are the ones that have stuck but
1: well th- this is this is something interesting because um one of the one of the things that i want to talk about in, in an upcoming second place article is um uh, monolinguism, which is, you know, the ability to speak only one language. Bilingualism, which is, you know, when you can speak two languages, uh, which is actually the norm worldwide. About 66 percent of human beings uh, speak two languages rather than one. Um, and then a minority of people speak only one language, and a minority of people speak three or more languages. But the way that I think about it is, is just simply a matter of, uh, of what's called code switching where uh, you know if you if you live in a border in a border uh, location between countries or between language groups you have lots of bilingual people and they do what's called code switching where they'll speak part of a sentence in one language and then switch to say certain words or certain phrases in a different language um, and you know when 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 i'm dealing with that stuff there's there's a kind of a an older dialect so to speak for uh, for rollerblading, so that you know, when I say to my friend Jared McBay, you know, hey, do a do a um, savanna, he knows exactly what I'm talking about. But if I say, uh, you know, do a back to Andrew Broom, they both know what I talk about, what I'm talking about. So to me, it's a matter of not privileging one discourse or or dialect over another, and just simply being able to switch between for based on who you're talking to. So I don't think that there's any one right way of doing it. I think that it's important to pay attention to your audience and pay attention to who you're speaking to. So if it's Andrew Broom or Cody Sanders or Mick Casals or any of the somewhat younger guys, not that they're young, I mean, they're in their mid-20s, but, you know, they, they, they use what, what I would consider the newer dialect, and I just accommodate them. You know, it's not like it's that big of a deal, and I don't need to be on any high horse about enforcing my language preferences on them. It's a matter of me accommodating them for for simplicity and clarity so that if I'm trying to talk somebody into doing a trick, I should be using their discourse. Same thing if you're trying to convince a a German guy to stay up later with you and drink beer, it's much easier to persuade him in German than it is to persuade him in English.
0: (laughs) That's what I was going to ask. Can you speak German?
1: Uh, I speak German decently um, and I speak Spanish decently.
0: So your almost- uh, my Spanish
1: is probably better than my German, but uh, talk about well, talk about talk about things being rusty, man. I had to. There was some guys playing soccer uh, the other night at the at the tennis court where we take the box to, and we needed to be able to use the court at the same time. And I was kind of the designated emissary to go talk to them, and there was a bunch of things that I wanted to say that I couldn't think of a word for, so I had to go back and try to say it in a roundabout way with words that I knew how to say and conjugate correctly to speak correctly. Um, and 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 it's rusty as fuck, man. My Spanish is rusty as shit. My German's probably even rustier.
0: That, but you're uh, so you're almost maybe trilingual, and you're a really good code switcher for blade speak.
1: I'm a really good code switcher for blade speak, a little bit blade speak, but uh, uh, trilingual is a bit of a stretch.
0: That's a that's like a skill, hey. When you're when you're out, um, you're out skating, and you have to speak to someone about like possibly moving a car or uh or excuse me can you get off this like a a ledge at a skate park or something like that there's like you have to be uh really polite and well-spoken to make it work because you're like an ambassador for inline skaters in some way and that's amazing that you had to do it in a different language so did you uh get your point across did were you able to share the court Mm -hmm. excellent yeah
1: yeah I, i i was and uh there's a there's a rollerblader in in Austin whose name is Michael Kraft and he's really really great and he's really uh, a a smart smart guy and he's real forward thinking and and uh, and he's a really talented skater too um, and he he was commenting that he was he he really actually enjoyed the fact that we were you know using the space together that we were staying on our side and they were staying on theirs and the ball would occasionally drift over and we'd kick it back and. You know, People would occasionally sort of go into their side to get more speed <clears throat> to hit the box. And, and I agreed with him that I thought that it was, it was really, really nice for, for two very different communities to be able to come together and use the same space.
0: That is really good. Um, that's, that's really important even within skate parks sometimes. To, there's sometimes where you can be at a skate park and feel that things are separate. And then every once in a while, I swear, without speaking anything, there's times where I felt like I'm sessioning with certain people. Even yeah. though we're not saying anything about it, right. that's a big thing, so it, they were playing soccer,
1: yeah, yeah, they were these uh, uh mexican mexican American guys and they were they were they had probably thirty fucking dudes and they were out there playing soccer, and uh you know they're drinking beer and playing soccer and we're skating and drinking beer like we're 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 ideologically we're probably very close to one another as far as what we're trying to get accomplished in a Sunday evening, uh you know, get out of the heat. Have fun, drink beer, spend time with the homies. You know, they're trying to do exactly what we're trying to do.
0: Oh, that sounds glorious. I haven't had enough of that this summer. It's been far too busy. Did anybody kick the ball like back in and then do an ama like lace an amazing trick in one in one kind oh, of in one line? Path.
1: Uh, you know, that probably happened. It's, it definitely happened, but, uh, I don't know that an amazing trick It's not like somebody did full cab true fish and, you know, kicked the ball back or something like that. But I think there was definitely a couple of occasions where, you know, somebody skated through and kicked the ball back and then, uh, a couple of guys were in the way and like looped around and then did a grind and jumped off. Uh,
0: cause rollerblades are one of the best, uh, activities where you can combine other props with it. Have you, have you ever thought about that? hmm um so that more than any other activity I think that you could kick a soccer ball and then do a trick the smoothest more than any other thing unless maybe uh parkour i guess could do some interesting stuff, but um like you could make a whole section of kicking a soccer ball and doing tricks. I would love to see that but i'm i'm yeah there's there's a lot
1: of there's a lot of sort of uh i g i guess actually it's right inside of your wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. kind of mushroom blading kind of stuff where, um, you know, you grind a rail that's rolling on the ground and that kind of thing. I mean, I think that that's, that's really interesting. Um, one of the things that, uh, as, as a, as a teacher of English that, that me and a lot of my colleagues reject is that, you know, learning how to write should somehow be in service to all the other disciplines. And it's a big, it's a big controversy because, um, that kind of makes writing into a service discipline rather than its own freestanding thing with its own uh... you, you know sco- scholarly history and academic trajectory um, you know we don't really want to be in service to anything else and i remember one time when i was really little and i just started rollerblading i was probably nine or ten and uh... one of the neighbors i was standing there with my skates on and it was like a fourth of july party and the neighbor was trying to give me these sparklers to, like, skate up and down the street and, like, wave these sparklers. And I was just like, you want those fucking sparklers gone up and down the street? You take them your fucking self, dude. I don't have to fucking do this for you. You know, I'm not like a rollerblader for hire, you know. I don't want to do that. That sounds stupid to me. <laughs> well, well, I like the idea of, of being able to share space and to be able to do things like you're talking about, like kick a soccer ball and then... Uh, you know uh, jump on a rail or a ledge or something like that I I really I really am not comfortable with the idea of of, you know rollerblading somehow being in service to anything that you know can be made a spectacle of ah yep yep because that's really where we lose clout you know
0: Yep, I'm so much of a kook that I actually have something written down in an old notebook where I wanted to make a section where we tape a bunch of sparklers to my skates and then do a really uh, low shutter speed on the camera, and uh, so that's that's exactly in the opposite direction of what you just said. I don't well, know if we'll ever we'll okay. ever do that one, but
1: if if there's I mean things that are things that are fun are are, are obviously great because that's what fun is, um, but. I only start to get uncomfortable with it when it looks like, you know, we're, we're just this kind of spectacle for hire and we're just a vehicle for other things. You know, I really like the idea that rollerblading is its own freestanding discourse community with its own pros and its own kids coming up and its own problems and its own sort of theory and pedagogy and everything else. I like that we're a sort of a fully fledged subculture it's a rather re- than just a leech off of something else.
0: It's a really good point. How did you feel about seeing uh, Haffy do like the stuff with uh, shopping carts, and then there was the thing where he did like he pretty much did like a f- backflip 360 with a bike, and then let go of the bike and landed on his skates? Is that kind of go with what you're saying in front well, of like a large audience too?
1: Well, the I, I see that I see that really is a is a kind of a, a dichotomy because on the one hand, I think that the rollerbladers see it. And they think that it's hilarious fun and because we know who Chris Happy is. Yeah. We know that he could show up and ruin anybody in the world at anything from vert to a ledge in front of your house. Um, and and we, we react symbolically different than other people would because we, we, we know who Chris Haffey is and we know what he can do. And we basically already respect him. Uh, it is a little bit bothersome though, and it's it's. I'm glad that you brought that up because that's more or less exactly what I'm talking about. Where, you know, Happy's the only rollerblader in that in that nitro circus show, and you know, I believe that he's having a lot of fun and everything like that. I just I worry about the kind of public public perception of rollerblading as as being somehow akin to the other kind of circus activities that they do, like you know, the scooter. Or the big the tri- tricycle over the mega ramp and other kind of ridiculous stuff like that. Like I really, I'm really uncomfortable when rollerblading starts looking ridiculous. <laughs> and I and I don't necessarily trust the audience to know the difference.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that. I on that note, I really have to pee, um, but I have something connected to that thought when we come back. So just kind of I might be somewhat related, and then we'll go into uh, your topic one that you wrote down. Um, I went, I filmed at uh, the Kamlupa Powwow last uh-huh. night, and there's these huge powwow grounds where I live, and it's all the different uh, tribes from I think all over British Columbia um, that meet and do go in their traditional dress and do like drums and songs like the original people. That lived on this this land and it really got me thinking um about the idea of uh like you know tribes in rollerblading and the eventual idea of elders and where things would go do you ever think about that stuff um in terms of like does rollerblading have an identity where it's going in that direction or is it still kind of like a confused uh 20 year old that hasn't really got its life together and and doesn't know where it's going. If that's too much, I don't know. Question wise.
1: Uh, well, I I think it's I think it's it's kind of it's kind of both. Um, one one I, I do I do think that the, <clears throat> the wow there's there's probably three separate second place articles tied up in that question. <laughs> um, so so one one thing. Is that um, I want to I want to f- find out how many rollerbladers there are, or at least put myself in a position to make a couple of different guesses about how many there are. And I've been I've been uh, in contact with a with a, a colleague at the university that I work at to try to figure out how to do a census. And the way that the way that census taking works is is that you have to try to build a model, and then you can look at other known data. So, for instance. You want to you look at, say, urban areas and figure how many rollerbladers are there per million of a regular population. And then that gives you the ability to just take whole sets of data that are already out there, like population data, and be able to say with some accuracy, there's about 30 or so rollerbladers per million in a standard population. So you look at a place like Austin. Austin has just under 2 million people. And so you would predict that there should be about 55 or 60 rollerbladers in, in this area. And there are so that bears out, um, but you know one of the the other thing that that, that I'm interested in doing that for is because um, I'd like to try to get a sense of how old are we, and and I feel as though our median age is starting to creep towards thirty, rather than creep towards twenty.
0: Absolutely.
1: Uh, in the early nine or in the mid nineties, I think that twenty or so was probably the median age, and that means you've got about 50% of people who are 25 or or so as you have people who are 15 or so and it may, it may not be a 50-50 split but that's at least the kind of thing that I'm talking about um, and so I think that there there is there is a major division where I think that the older guys generally are, are kind of a little bit more calm at least in their affect where they're pretty content to skate a rail that's not a bust and skate a ledge that's not a bust and skate in skate parks and have box sessions and things like that because, you know, speaking for myself, you know, I, I'm not trying to get kicked out of anywhere. I'm, I've fucking had it with that. I've been yelled at and screamed at and handcuffed and put in cop cars and, you know, just people have been being an asshole to me since I was 14, and, and I'm tired of fucking dealing with it, so I'm quite content to lobby the city and get a, you know, handicap rail put in the skate park and just skate that. Um rather than go all over town and get kicked out of 10 places in one day. But I think the younger guys don't really care. I think the younger guys are exactly how we were when we were younger, and they don't give a fuck, and they don't want to put up with any attitude or shit, and they'll talk back and start fights with security guards and God knows what else.
0: And that's, a, that, that's an important part, too, of, the, uh, of your skating history, I think. Like, if you were to just be a kid that skates skate parks, I think you'd lack some of the important stuff that street skating has to offer
1: well yeah and and i mean i think that i think that a lot of rollerbladers and and action sports people in general maybe with the exception of people who are accustomed to having to accustomed to being accommodated uh <clears throat> you know so all of bmx rollerblading skateboarding uh, any of those kind of things you're gonna have people who are used to getting kicked out yelled at called faggots called whatever um and that's and that's probably across the board. You know, the the douchebaggery knows no boundaries. Um, but other sports like snowboarding and and uh, skiing and wakeboarding, you know, they they kind of go do their own thing in places that are more or less designed to accommodate them. Um, and so I think that their experience would be somewhat different from ours. Um, but yeah, so so. I, I think that I think that as far as the the question you asked, you're you're saying, do we have a kind of a, an identity? And I I think that as long as we have new people coming in and old guys staying around, uh, we have a kind of a balance where there's there's some maturity and some ability to get you know get organized and do things like you know like the Colorado road trip. You know what's his name's been running that for like fucking 15 years now or whatever um and it's going on right now my buddy jared and jan welcher up there on it right now
0: oh that Uh, sounds so good
1: and i I think i think it's at the moment it's going to be probably 10 or 20 more years of that kind of mixed identity um where we have some old people with some institutional memory who can say how things were and how things are and how they expect things to be because they've got a lot of experience um but at the same time you got a lot of kids mouthing off and you got a lot of people skating street and still getting kicked out of places and you know you, you have both. I think that you really have both.
0: And that's uh, a good thing.
1: But yeah, one of the one of the, one, the the article, the other article, so the one the one that I wanted to do was about the population and to get some kind of demographic data about us together. Uh but the other one is is this uh this this idea that I've had kind of Turning over and over in in my head for the last say year or so, where i'm I'm curious whether rollerblading uh, thrives more on on order or more on uh or more on disorder. and I think that there's there's a lot to be said about both. I think that uh, you know order is good and that stands for things like the X games and big ASA contests and stuff like that also stands for things like money and organized events. And, you know, uh, cross-cultural exchange with musicians and artists and other kinds of athletes and things like that. And I think that the order uh, is is really excellent and it offers very wonderful things. Alternatively, I think that there's something very raw um, and and kind of of primal um, and even futurist, which is a term that I might have to come back to, but, but as far as anarchy is concerned, rollerblading is fantastic for the, for the anar- anarchic reasons that we don't want to be led and we don't need any leader and we're doing fine. And back when things were sort of in the dark days where there were no magazines really to speak of and uh, stuff was intermittent and really it was the BMAG message board that was holding everything together around about 2005 or so, um, it was total fucking anarchy. And I remember talking to Jake Barnes having been out of the scene for a while and him saying, yeah, really it's, it's BMAG is the only thing holding it together. And it's like fucking Lord of the flies, man. You go in there and they don't give a shit who you are. They'll just, you know, they'll tear anybody down or hold anybody up. It's, it's totally at the whim of that community. (laughs) And, and I'm not, I'm not talking shit about those guys. I'm saying that they have performed a service that was really, really, um, valuable because it held the scene together globally in a way that nothing else could. Yeah. And so I think that we we have this this kind of uh, dualism or this dichotomy where we're co-constituted by both order and chaos, the sort of cosmos and chaos that that co-constructs us. And it's it's a kind of a yin yang. I, I I think that it's it's a it's it's a it's a notion that has stuck around for thousands of years because uh, a lot of things are constitu or, are are built from Uh, those kinds of dualities where you have the two extremes create uh, a a sort of a uniform middle. Um, I think that rollerblading is that way. I think that me and my wife are that way. Uh, I I can think of a dozen friendships that I've got where, uh, you know, I'm very different from somebody who's a close friend of mine and they bring certain things and I bring kind of the opposite Um, and it works, you know? And so I, I think that, our identity moving forward is is going to continue, I think, to be one that's co-constructed of both uh cosmos and, and chaos. Seriously.
0: Wow. Again, why second place is awesome that uh that you're able <laughs> to break it down and think about it that way. <laughs> I uh Well cheers, man. I was thinking about how skiing's gonna be in the Olympics. I think it's skiing half pipe and I think, slope style, with rails and things. Oh, wow, okay. Which is kind of insane, and and, uh, snowboarding was in the last one. And and do you think out of that order, eventually, something like that could happen? Do you ever reflect on the idea of rollerblading being incredibly... uh,
1: No, it'll never happen. It'll never happen, and I'll tell you exactly why. Okay. The cognitive load required for rollerblading is enormous. The, the amount, in everybody who's had a girlfriend who's expressed some interest, or a boyfriend for that matter, who's expressed some interest in learning the names of things, you really need to become fully indoctrinated into the entire culture, and you really need to become uh, a, an L1 speaker of rollerblading discourse to understand even what the fuck is going on. You know, if you look at figure skating, you have to know what all those things are to know why one person got silver and one person got bronze and there's a ton of knowledge that you have to have to do it and people have been willing to make that commitment because uh... you know figure skating for instance is the kind of thing gymnastics is the kind of thing where um, it's been around for a very long time and people who don't do it care about it whereas you know rollerblading has a very uh, a very long and high hill to climb to try to get people to understand the difference between a true spin top soul and a true spin top soyal, you know, we're we're already dealing with that within our own community where there's a lot of younger guys who don't know the difference and don't give a shit. And they do it, you know, one time and it's clearly true top soyal, and they do it another time and it's clearly true top soul. Um, and they don't themselves register a difference. So when we're asking a community to care, uh, there's a humongous amount of knowledge that they have to have to even be able to discriminate one trick from another. Whereas if you look at snowboarding and you look at skiing, particularly if you just look in the grinds, especially the skiers, they tend to do like what we would call like a, like a double machio or, a, or a, um, a double negative kind of a grind, or they do front sides. And the only thing that they do is do bigger and bigger spins or flips to those grinds. But there's really only two grinds to pick from. So it's really easy. The, the cognitive load, in other words, is much less... If you're talking about a dude who can do uh, 540 to frontside and then you've got this other guy who can do 900 to frontside, you know, well, that guy clearly did a better one because he did three turns or two and a half turns to grind and the other guy only did one and a half. So clearly the guy who did the, 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 the twice as many turns to the same grind is better. So, you know, what you have to understand about it is much, much less. And anybody could probably watch uh, a ski contest and see, okay, that guy did two backflips and that guy did three backflips, so I'm going to go with the guy who did three backflips, won the contest.
0: And you're probably going to be right. It, and is that why uh, skating doesn't translate well to television to a wider audience? Do you think there is a way to portray skating that would... That well, the, would... the,
1: the announcers from, from Arlo to Matt and Mickey and, and, and others who have been announcers have really struggled over the years to try to... Uh, both accommodate the language um that that the that the television company will accept like you can't say porn star on tv oh. uh you know and and so a guy goes and does a porn star and you've got arlo sitting there having to say really good i'll leave grind down the rail
0: <laughs> i've never thought about that
1: and and it's because you can't say that on television yeah you know and and even if you did no one would understand what the fuck you're talking about it doesn't it doesn't automatically mean, oh, it's definitely, you know, a porn star and not an Alley of Unity or a Savannah. No one fucking knows what that is. The only people who know what that is is rollerbladers, and it's it's way too much knowledge to expect an audience to to get. That I mean, one of the reasons why BMX is so good for TV and so good for live audiences is because a 360 on a bike is a scary, crazy fucking thing, and a backflip on a bike is a scary fucking thing, and a bar spin... They're all really simple, really intuitive things. Like, oh, he jumped up in the air and spun the handlebars around. That's really cool. Oh, he spun the bike around but held on to the, to the, you know, and they, and all their names are intuitive as well. You know, uh, uh, a nothing is where you com- get completely off the bike. A no hander is where you take your hands off. A bar spin is where you spin the handlebars. A backflip is a backflip is a backflip. A 360 is a 360 and, and you don't you don't need to know the language you know the language is intuitive but, but you tell somebody you know oh no it wasn't it wasn't in spin it was out spin and it wasn't 270 it was 360 and it was the top side so you know when you got half the people saying hard spin and half the people saying hurricane and half the people saying in spin 360 topsail uh, you know we're having trouble with this just keeping order within our own house and the idea of expecting an audience to suddenly care what's the difference between in spin and out spin and whether true spins can go to frame tricks, like that's that's a that's a, a cognitive demand on an audience member that's outrageous, and it's probably more technical than even something like figure skating.
0: Yeah, I think it is too. Well, and as it as we go on uh, into the far, far future, it's going to get even more complicated. I think because the way people come in and out of tricks are going to need to be discussed too. And I mean, is well, that?
1: Gonna... I'm, I'm I'm a linguist for hire, and I'll be happy to keep writing these things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, uh, do you do you see um, skating going still in this grind-heavy direction? Is that is that what it is, or do you think that some other influences are going to melt into it? Because when you think of the history of skateboarding, when it was <clears throat> uh, when freestyle started influencing street tricks, like there was just people doing weird stuff on flat ground, and when those guys kind of started experimenting with street skating. Could you see anything like that that's like a combination of slalom skating maneuvers and pivots and things like that with grinds becoming a more standard thing with actual trick names and everything like that? Or do you think that the two are just so separate that they'll never melt together into something standard?
1: Um, I would say that uh, grinding is absolutely the mainstay. It's something that we can do better than any other action sport. Because we have much more variety uh, i I, w- I would be happy to write at some point an article trying to account for how many tricks there are um, and and without without even spending that much time thinking about it, there are well over three hundred and that's just different stances it doesn't count half cab or spin in just how can you put your feet on a rail and go down the rail there's there's more than three hundred
0: easily yeah, wow. <laughs> Uh, I think, Cody, I still haven't checked it out, but on Toxpo, I think that's the name of it, .net, there's a trick list. I've never checked it out, but do, is there... Oh,
1: yeah, I looked through that, and I thought it was pretty handy. Um, I, I I I think that it, it should probably be a long-term project of mine to try to produce like an infographic or something. I need to get in touch with a graphic designer, uh, and I might be able to use the gal who helped me get my logo together for second place. Uh, cause she's really good and I think, but it's, I just worry that it's a lot, a lot of her time and I'm only getting her like, you know, six pack of beer and taking her out to eat dinner to, uh, <laughs> you know, have her spend six hours putting a logo
0: together. That's uh that was on your, um, that was on the list here. So, so it's, yeah, the I worry about this. oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. We
1: can cover that while we're, yeah, we'll just, yeah, we're on it right now as we go. Okay. Yeah. So, so, um, And 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 that's actually good, because that's part of an answer to your question. Um, So I'll I'll, I'll say that first. One of the reasons why Second Place is called Second Place is because um, that's the grinding location. You know, first channel, second channel, third channel. The Second Place is the grinding channel. And that is the mainstay of what we do, and that's where our our talent lies uh, relative to the other action sports. And and I think that, to answer your question, I really think that... uh, Grinding is going to stay at least 60, 70% of what we do forever. I mean, we're grinders. That's who we are. That's, that's 60 to 90% of what we spend our time doing. And if you ever have any doubt about that, fly down here to Texas and skate this box that I have built, and you will have the most fun you'll have ever had in your life. It's the funnest thing to skate. And you just stay like you just go to one side. Everybody mobs over to one side and gets in line and then goes back and grinds one way and then it gets in line again, and then grinds back the other way. And people will do this for, like, 10 hours if you let them. I always have to, like, all right, fellas, i got to go to work tomorrow, or i got shit to do, so we've got to wrap this up. And everybody's, oh, one more try, one more try, I've almost got this. I'm like, all right, another hour goes by. Like, there's nothing funner than skating a box for the vast majority of rollerbladers. Grinding is what we do. It's what we're good at. It's what our skates are designed for. And we've made great sacrifices to, to accommodate that. You know, we've given up middle wheels, we've given up turning, we've given up the ability to carve and corner. You know, we've largely given up all these things just so that we can grind. Uh and every every single frame and sole plate design that's come out in the last 20 years has been getting more and more specialized to accommodate grinding. So I do think that the the kind of mushroom blading and the kind of uh freestyle and gaps and spins and other kinds of things like that are are, are gradually getting more um, prominent and occupying a larger percentage of what we do. But I still think that grinding will be the baseline forever.
0: That's that's uh, It's so interesting you say that. When I kind of reflect back on, I haven't had a lot of box sessions in my time, but the ones that, or even just like a, like a p-rail session at a little shitty skate park. They are so fun. I I don't know what that is or or what like what instinct in us as humans what that what that is related to, but I just remember having so much fun. Richie Eisler's house specifically, I remember his the way that he would build his uh it wasn't so much a grind box as it was a, it was like a rail on this board that started out high and went lower and it, you could really figure out how he learned all of his shit because it was like you could start higher you could start lower. You could learn mm-hmm. a trick on the lower part and then move up. But yeah. what, is, what is that? Just getting in a line and hauling ass towards something and doing a grind with a bunch of people. like well,
1: yeah, I think that there's a lot of things that are really kind of uh, fundamental to rollerblading in that. And and one is that we see, again, I would point out, that we see that that balance between the kind of cosmos and chaos, the kind of order and disorder, where, you know, uh, we, we do have a part of our identity where we like order and we like getting in line and we like waiting our turn, and we like for there to be order. Um, but we also, in, in, in Texas, and I think that it's used elsewhere, but, you know, the term rebate, where, you know, you've been working on a trick for the last three or four tries and you haven't got it, and you just got really close and there's 15 guys waiting in line... Everyone in our community, in, roller, in 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 Austin anyway, can call rebate. Like, dude, I'm about to fucking get it. Let me fucking have one more try, and I could be done with this fucking stupid ass trick, you know. And everybody, yeah, fool, you got it, you got it. Get out, get, get up there, do it, lace that shit, fool, get it, get it. And you get, you get this sort of temporary, sustained chaos where people get rowdy and they cheer for each other, and and it's really, um, you know, chaotic for a moment, uh, and that's kind of tolerated within okay, but yeah, okay, so you did your trick, now get back in line.
0: (laughs) Rebate.
1: And and so so I think that I think that there's a lot of things in the box session that speak very, very much to or speak directly to to our kind of core where we thrive on both chaos and and order. Uh I keep using cosmos. Cosmos is the Greek word for order. Cosmos and chaos are the two things that they thought constructed the universe. Uh, before the pre-Socratics came around and thought it was made out of water and air and other stuff like that. Uh, and then, of course, the four elements, you know, the earth, wind, fire, water, and ether. I guess Aristotle came up with ether as the other thing, but that, that doesn't matter. Um, I, I do think that a box session sort of uh, embodies all of the things that we do. It, you know, we like to do, you know, to jump over the box. Jumping over the box is fun. People do it every time we do it. People also like to slide across the top, people like to skate around it, people like to grind it, people like to do training wheel tricks and wheelbarrow tricks and circus tricks like that because they're fun. Um, We also like to snake each other for fun. We also like to get in line and wait our turn for fun. So I think that 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 same dichotomy between order and chaos is is really um, well displayed in a box session.
0: God damn it, you're really making me wanna have a box session. It was uh it's King of the Street in Calgary, a big street contest and the Volo five premiere this weekend, and since I had to work for the long weekend, I couldn't oh. make it. And now talking about this box session thing is really making me it's it's hurting that much more, Frank. But I know, I'm sorry. sorry no, about no, that's okay. You're also kind of like uh you're returning me to my grinding roots when I talk to you. I I never you know, I, I get angry a lot of the times about, like, my own experience in history of skating that I grinded so much, but talking to you, I do kind of think about the importance of grinding. Style-wise, style and I've talked about this on other podcasts, a really nicely uh, executed grind down something or across something, that the kind that just makes you go, oh, shit, that's just something so specific to rollerblading. that. Yep. That I love, and uh, you know, that uh, that fast shoes section that I posted, um, the backslide to Aleutopsil that you commented on. I mean, oh yeah, uh, really, uh, Gil Gil I Velasquez that. or
1: yeah, uh, that's tough as shit, dude. And that's one of the things that certain skates enable.
0: You know, a lot of the
1: skate designs, uh, you know, razors are really good skates to do a back nougat on a rough ass ledge. And, you know, K2 fatties were perfect to do a fucking backslide down a King rail. I mean, what, one of the things that I actually lament, not that rollerblading has spent too much grinding or not enough time doing cones and stuff like that. The thing that really disappoints me the most is that people haven't really been able to take advantage of the variety of skates that are available so that you could do certain tricks with one pair of skates and other tricks with, with a different pair of skates or different frame setups. You know, I mean... I have probably 25 pairs of skates in my garage, and I, I skate maybe one or two at a time at the most, and typically one. Um, and it's really kind of sad because, you know, the, the King 55s that I've got are great for stuff, you know, and, and some of the old skates are really good for, for, you know, certain grinds or certain gaps or certain kinds of maneuvers, and it's, it's really just kind of sad that uh, we don't take more advantage of that. It's it's uh, that's worth thinking about
0: the uh, the sole plate shape and everything uh, um, and boot styles is really standard these days uh, in terms of like what everybody uses that it, it's almost like you're a little bit of a freak if you were to come to a a session in like an old pair of K twos with the soft backslide plate that it that it would be kind of a weird thing and I try I took those skates out for rip the other day it's almost like a different style of Skating is like having to relearn royales, pretty much.
1: Yeah, I, I can, I can, I can agree with that. Um, I don't know. I think it would probably, it would probably vary scene by scene. If somebody showed up with uh, a size nine pair of K twos, I can guarantee you that every single person who wears a nine would want to skate them in, in our scene. It's true, Micah. You know, Micah Yeager brought out a pair of brand new uh, red. I think they were red uh, Scott Bentley oxygens.
0: Oh shit!
1: And he had him set up with uh, the the UFS, or, or I don't know if they were UFS. Maybe they were Senate frames. But they used to have those little adapters so that you could put regular frames on. Yeah. And uh, for for oxygen, it was a very brief moment in time. It was probably the end of '97 or '98, where that that sort of old school skates with no sole plates temporarily overlapped with the new style, sort of razors flat kind of skate, and Everybody, everybody there, I think they were size nines and everybody there who could put their foot into
0: it, took them out for a test run. And what happened like trick wise, were there, was there some surprises in terms of like how people could lock things or how they slid? I I mean, people
1: were mostly just doing kind of a a soul and a front side and a backside and a macchio and stuff like that. I think that a lot of the younger guys are just kind of horrified at the lack of soul space.
0: (laughs) That's, I, hey, I am still a firm believer that souls are too big. But I, I, that, oh Lucy, that could just be me though. I don't know. Did we talk about soul size preference on the last podcast? I don't I don't know that we did. Because um, what's your what's your take on it? I on the last podcast I talked about how a soul grind for me is still related to the kind of original stance where your foot is torqued over and you're almost on the outside of your yep. foot rather yep. than standing on a platform. Like, uh, yeah, I think I follow. and that, and that heel plates, the, the first soul grinds, heel plates weren't part of it, that if you were to imitate a soul grind in your bare feet, your heel would probably lift up off the floor in terms of how you transfer your weight. So, okay. uh, yeah. um, but I don't know what, what's your take on that?
1: Um, well, I mean the, the, the flat sole is, is. The flat sole and the split frame are probably the two most longest-lasting innovations that we've created in rollerblading. Um, and I think that everybody definitely has the right idea. We're getting close, I think, to what the final skate design will be, or at least for a while. I think that if we look to skateboarding, you know, they tried all kinds of different shapes. You know, they had the sort of symmetrical ones and they had the kind of penis-shaped ones and the kind of cobra head-shaped ones, and then before that they had the little tiny ones that was like slightly bigger than one foot. Uh, and they've kind of arrived at a sort of um, semi, semi-symmetrical semi design where the, the only difference really is that the nose is a little bit, or the trucks are set back from the nose on the front. Um, but, you know, we're... A lot of a lot of the ideas have been tried. You know, should a skate have a cuff? Should a skate not have a cuff? Should it have a sole plate that's separate? Should it be integrated? Uh, should the skate be soft boot or hard boot? Uh, I think that we're still we're still kind of figuring that out as far as skate design. But the mainstay forever has really been uh, a, a, low, a lower boot with a cuff, and even even the the the, the new uh, the newer I should say. Um, Carbon carbon boot skates, you know, still have a, a cuff that's bolted on like a ski boot. Um, personally, I think that in the long run, the final design will tend towards a higher cuff with more flex. Uh, and I was kind of dissatisfied. I had a long talk with Kato, very very long time ago at a Super Hick in Atlanta, where uh, I had never met him before, and I wanted to talk badly. And and at the time, I was skating. Shima ones with the big giant cuffs and I double cuffed them so there was you know they were really fantastic skates uh, and I was going higher with the cuff and he was thinking that the remedy to the skate design problems was a lower cuff and I personally think that a higher cuff is the way to go we just haven't had anybody do it and put somebody like happy on it to jump off a of buildings and shit to convince everybody that that's the way but my my prediction long term is that cuffs will go back to being higher but we'll have a different mechanism for flexing, um,
0: and that, that's, thats where that, that's or, just that's just my prediction. That and that's where you talked about before the Argon uh, mm. skate mm. was good cuff-wise. And did you yeah. see the? I haven't really investigated it completely, but it looks like the the Seba aggressive skate yeah. is is pretty high. From what I've, I've seen.
1: seen that, but I haven't actually seen one. And until I get to actually hold a pair in my hands, I'll have fucking no idea. If those uh, guys, if any of those guys are listening and they want to mail me a pair, get in touch. I'd love to look at a pair.
0: I'm really interested to see how that skate goes because the price point is... I think it's going to be the highest for any skate on the market. Like, I can't remember. What was the highest price point for a skate of all time? There was, like, these, these UFS... Uh, Thrones, Dominique Sagona, and they came with physics frames, and uh, they had, like, the chrome cover. I remember those were, like, in the upper 500 range, but do you have any memories of skates being, like, Ooh, 550 in, or 600?
1: In, in Canadian dollars or American dollars?
0: Um, in American, I think, they were up there.
1: I don't... I, I mean, I'm not really the best person to ask, but I don't actually recall a $500 skate.
0: I swear... Or maybe it wasn't that much, but uh, I...
1: I, I, know. I for a fact that those uh those usd um what do you call them power blading skates are like 489 or something like that
0: oh really wow
1: yeah, i mean they're they're fancy ass i mean they're they're impressive skates for sure they're carbon they've got big ass frames big ass wheels and they come with like bone swiss bearings or something like that like all those parts add up to 500 dollars, and i can see that but yeah i don't on my own want to spend 500 dollars for a pair of glorified reg skates
0: have you uh, tried the carbon skates or any kind of carbon skate?
1: Yeah, I skated a pair of uh, USD Carbon 2s, I guess. There's a uh, a guy in Austin who's Russian. His name is Dimitri. And uh, he's got a pair of size 12s, and they were just a tiny bit too big for me. And his skates were set up uh, uh, anti-rocker. And so I cruised around on them, and, and I really felt like this, the cuff was too low, and it dug in at the lower part of my ankle. Yeah. And I really, really didn't like that. But as far as the actual boot lower, um, I think they're great. I think they look great. They perform great. People seem to be able to skate really well in them. Um, I just long term, I'm I'm betting I'm betting on the minority opinion that the high cuff
0: will be the way. It's really interesting. Is there any skate on the market right now that has a higher cuff? Because I can't think of one really for aggressive. I can't think of anything. They've they've even chopped like a. Like, the Volo cuff is chopped down quite a bit from the original M12 cuff.
1: Yeah, I've got, yeah, I skate Volo's right now. And uh, I've got a pair of, uh, in my garage, I've got a brand new pair of, sim, almost brand new pair of the original white um, Majestic
0: 12s. It, oh, nice. I and When I put mine on. things
1: are outrageously high, dude. They're not symmetrical. Like, they go way higher in the back.
0: The but M12s, right?
1: Price, those things are high as shit, man. Like they go up to like the middle of my calf.
0: Yeah, the, the yeah. I put those on. I put on my old uh, white M12s, um, and I couldn't believe that I was able to topside in them. In terms of like topside integrity in those skates, uh-huh. it it had to be topside. Yeah, it had to be. I mean, or the I guess the frame thickness was decent enough that you could kind of be. Not topside, and the frame would still slide for a little bit, and then your boot would lock in. But so that's too high.
1: Well, I don't think it's too high. I think that it should come, it should be that height, and it should come all the way around the front of the shin at that height. But I also think that something needs to be done to allow for both flex and support in order to accommodate uh, that high of a cuff. Um, because the way that you know K twos used to just wear out, they would they would be perfect like right before they died. And they would kind of cowboy out. They kind of bow leg out. Yeah. So we're going back to soul frames. The soul frames would, you see a lot of pictures of guys standing on the ramp or standing at the top of a rail waiting their turn. And they would stand and kind of bow their legs out and would stand in a resting position where their, their wheels are flat on the ground and the, the sort of uh, out, outer edge of the sole plates are also on the ground. Yeah. There's a lot of people who ride Remedies who I see standing around. And they'll basically flex over. I wish I could hold my hands up because it would be intuitive. Oh, it's it's supinating. I've...
0: sole plate. Yeah.
1: And you just stand there, and it's quite comfortable.
0: Yeah.
1: It doesn't look comfortable, especially to somebody who's never seen it before or had their feet in skates for 12 hours. But it's surprisingly comfortable, especially for me anyway, to just kind of arc over. I mean, I'm sitting that way now. I didn't even notice it.
0: Yeah, I'm curving one of my ankles, too. And when I stretch, like when I go out to touch my toes, Mm -hmm. uh, my ankle's... Bowing instead of go flat like that. Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. But as far as, as far as sole plate design, um, I I just it's 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 something that's not talked about enough. Which is um, most skates most skates when they come from from whatever manufacturer uh, are are optimized for a certain setup, and that means that what they're designed for is to have a certain wheel at a certain height with the bevel on the lower edge of the frame and the outside edge of the sole plate all in in concert so that they they set slide and they don't they don't frame out when you you know turn a corner um, and the way that the way that people now buy all different parts from all different manufacturers uh no one is really paying attention to the fact that um, that that we're we're losing the optimization of the skate design uh for sometimes function and other times just for aesthetics. They're like, oh, I don't want these. I want the black ones and and, and nonsense like that. But, you know, all skates are designed to, to, to ride a certain way. Um, and sometimes we kind of have to reverse engineer because we don't always have access to the person who made the design. But uh, the thing that really struck me when I got a pair of uh, Shadows a couple years ago was uh, when I got them in the box, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to fucking die skating these things because as soon as I cross over to turn, you know how when you go in a circle, you cross over your feet? Yeah. And, and I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm going to frame out on my sole frames, and I'm going to fall on my side like a hundred times. Yeah. And they came with Create Original Frames, and the bevel on the bottom of a Create Frame is similar to the old uh, able Frames. And the angle is such that the wheel, if it's 57 or better, uh, holds your foot at an angle where the frame doesn't touch the ground and the sole plate doesn't touch the ground. Uh, but if you had, say, old-school fifty-fifty frames, you wouldn't be able to skate in shadows. <laughs> I mean, your soul would touch the ground in every stride, both inside and outside.
0: I tripped myself a couple times in those skates, crossing over.
1: Yeah, well, and there's a lot of other stuff with the straps and the buckle being over the, the thing like that. Um, it's, it's definitely a problem, but, you know, when people are building skate setups... Uh, I, I think that that's one of the things that's forgotten, and and it's really bothersome that the big skate, uh, you know, warehouse places, they don't offer the specs, so you don't know the bottom angle, like the the bevel angle of the bottom of the frame, and you don't know the radius of the of the wheel profile, and you don't know the length and the width of the sole plate, and you don't know all these things that some of us actually care about. You know. I think that a lot of kids just don't give a shit and they would just bolt whatever onto whatever and make it work yeah. or dremel out and make it work. But you know, I, I actually have a lot of respect for the people who spend the time and the money to get a mold made and to make a thing. I think it's badass and it's, it's one of the mainstays of our, of our industry. And it would be really nice if more of the precision dimensions were made available to people so that they could be making better choices and wow. have knowledge about it.
0: That's a really good point i've had I've had some skates where it's like the wheels and frames and sole are so worn down uh in unity that uh they just feel so good from and i have talked about this before i think but that that point between rolling and cess sliding and being like on the edge of your boot that it it feels really smooth the way the skate uh-huh. translates between urethane and plastic yep. Um, and that's something that like, it takes a long break in with your skates to get them to a point that suits the way that you bend your ankle and transfer your weight and everything like that.
1: I I totally agree. The only thing that I would add to that would be to say that when the skates are optimized and when you're riding a setup that is optimized, meaning that the wheels accommodate the, the, the geometry of the frame and the frame accommodates the, the geometry of the sole plate and the sole plate accommodates the geometry of the boot and the liner and so on. Um, you can get a brand new setup if you, if you, you know, know enough about the, if you know enough of the specs, you can put those things together and have a pair of skates that does that right out of the box. And you don't have to wait until the skates are like on death's doormat because K2s were famous for that. Like K2s were perfect like a month before they were trash. Yeah. I mean, those things were ready to fucking roll for real. And then within a week or, you know, within three weeks, they went in the bin. They were just done. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because
1: the cuffs, the cuffs give away, the sole plates are gone, the bolts are grinded through, everything's bent. And there's just this moment, this, like, this grace period where your shit is fucking perfect. And that's usually the best time to go film a section because your skates are perfect. And it's usually filming that section where you're going to ruin your skates and then start from scratch again. But that's oh. a perfectly fine routine to go through, except that we could avoid that whole problem if we just knew the the actual uh, optimization specs for all these things what size wheels go with these frames what width sole plates go with these you know these frames what oh, oh. <laughs> that
0: that's where shops are going to be uh, more important down the road I'm,
1: I'm really really eager i spent some time with uh hakim at um at Bittercold, and and got to ask him a lot of questions about the frames and stuff. And and I I put in I I, I bought the hundred dollar package or the hundred and fifty dollar package, whichever one was the one that came with the frames and you know the three complete sets of all the different spacers. Yeah. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting those. I'm not a huge fan of the of the groove that's in the the stock groove that comes in the Create frame.
0: No, I really didn't like them when I tried them.
1: Uh, as far as as far as having a pair of frames that I could set up to you know not grind in that that or you know you know not i don't know to do machios in and negative machios or something like that <laughs> but that, to be able definitely. to carve around on those things and see how they work, I'm really really curious from a design and and kind of development perspective to see how those kites perform
0: definitely it was a it was a bold move and uh big props to uh Rollerblading having its first really successful uh, crowd. What's that called?
1: Crowdsource.
0: Crowdsource. That's what it's yeah. called. Yeah. I, I was uh, I was very skeptical to begin with, but if the shit's good, um, that's amazing that people are gonna put the money into it. I wonder if uh, a boot company could ever happen that way.
1: Well, well I mean, this this goes back to an earlier part of the conversation where I was saying. You know, as the median age of rollerbladers uh, uh, approaches 30, there's a lot more guys with a 100 bucks who can just say, yeah, well, you know, here's a 100 bucks, hope it works, let me know how it turns out. There's a whole lot more dudes now who can do that, guys who have regular jobs, um, you know. Right. And, and, and it's, it's something that's possible now that wouldn't have been possible before when, okay, we've got, you know, 30,000 rollerbladers out there who we need to go mow the lawn and send us $20. Like, that's never going to happen. <laughs> but... You know, you, you you get you get a bunch of guys who are all twenty five and up who've graduated college or they have jobs and careers. I mean, I don't have a lot of money, but I can come up with a hundred bucks to you know help Hakeem out.
0: Yeah, definitely. That that so there's an advantage in our average age going up, even just from that perspective. Uh, yeah,
1: and well, I think the other thing is that the uh, a lot of the older guys are are much more interested in um, in 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 kind of paying more attention to hardware um... because we want we want to go out and have a good day skating because it's the whole rest of the fucking week that we've got to deal with kids and a hundred other things that you know your job your kids your 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 wife your lifestyle your bills you know a hundred other things that are going on and people really need that time to be perfect or as perfect as it can be and if they've got the wherewithal to spend $1,000 $1,000 getting a pair of rollerblades together, they're going to do it because that time is, is crucial. I mean, a lot of guys that I know have kids, and they have this opportunity to skate for two and a half hours one day a week, and my God, they're going to go out there and kill themselves, and they really want that you know—that time to be well spent. The last thing that you want is to be dealing with wheels that you know, de-hub and frames that don't grind and laces that break and liners that get holes in them. Like, ain't nobody got time for that.
0: wow i just i was imagining i was watching like a video for a skate company and then it cut to like the research and development department and that whole thing that you just said right there like i was i was ready to give you my money for whatever skate it was that's a really really good point (laughs) because to if you only have two hours in a week there's a lot riding on your equipment working and giving you an enjoyable experience and there's from from skate to skate it's really hard to find something that works all around for me these days, that I'm really, really satisfied with every little part of the skate. There's always something that bugs me about my current setups. I try everything, too. I don't know if that's part of it that I that I switch setups too often. but Well, that's but,
1: something that I think that the younger guys are a lot more content to be like, well, I don't have any money, so I've got these ground control frames from so-and-so, and whatever, the grooves are backwards, but I don't give a shit, you know. I'll just, we just, hey, first spot, we need to go skate a ledge so I get new grooves. And, you know, I remember being like that as a kid, like not paying much attention to stuff and not really giving a shit whether the wheels were at a certain
0: size. And uh, and I
1: didn't have the money for it either.
0: There's a lot of power in that, just uh, accepting your setup and going with it and, and giving the break-in time. But I mean, as a kid, you have so much time to break in your skates, too, on mm-hmm. top of that. So you can get used to something shittier. But yeah, only two hours a week. You don't. You don't really want to break in your skates. Yeah. You want them to feel pretty good. And that was one thing about those K2s. Uh, the break-in time, like, they... I remember sucking on a new pair of K2s for the first... Uh, at least a few sessions. Huh. like, And then, yeah, they would start to feel good later on. But, like, remember... Would you celebrate by the time you, you had a Royale? Like, it was impossible to Royale in a new pair of skates. At least it was for us.
1: Oh, I don't know, man. Um, when, when I skated for Razors, um, I loved those things right out of the box. I loved them. I thought Razors were fantastic. K2s, a lot of the street guys really loved K2s when they were brand new because um, there's, a, there's a moment when you have K2s when they're brand new where the, uh, the, little, the little groove that was, became the Royale groove it actually stuck out. So when you did a Royale, you were all on that Teflon frame, uh, the same as the way that the uh, symmetric sole plates are, and the uh, what are they, the the carbon sole plates are, where it's basically just a flat piece of plastic that just gets ground in. It doesn't actually wrap up the boot at all. Uh, and so there was there was always a time with the K two guys where you could do Nugans for days. In, in, on like unwaxed ledges with K2s, and then as soon as you ground that plastic down enough to touch the, the kind of Royale plate, that rubber, rubber thing, uh, then it slowed down and it's just backslides from here on out. But
0: back farving in K2s was a task and a half.
1: Well, but that's the thing is if they were brand new and that, that part of the sole plate stuck out, you weren't grinding on that soft rubber thing yet. You were just grinding on that hard plastic thing. Yeah. And that thing was fast as shit, dude. You could, you could, I mean, Front torque down a rail, as long as those things are brand new, you can do it. But the second that you start getting boot, or, or getting boot-boot, I guess, yeah, um, or the soft part of the backslide plate, then it's it's game over. You can't torque anything.
0: That's why Jason Marshall did that really sweet torque. He probably game. had a new pair of K2s on Yeah, makes sense now. I've never really thought about it that way. Yeah, yeah, and that thing would—that wa- that was super fast. I remember sliding back on Royales a bunch of times because of that. Well,
1: um, so that thing stuck out like maybe a quarter of an inch, which translates to like a week or two of that thing being Teflon before you hit the rubber. Yeah, and that those that's your two week grace period where you can do Nugans, and then after that,
0: nothing. <laughs> this will be a big one. Um, the the feminist and gender issues in roller. Yeah, break. yeah, this is this big. Is where big, do we start?
1: Big. Um. <clears throat> Well, okay. I think okay. I think I've got a, a good a good starting point. Yeah. Um, it, from 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 my point of view, um, I think one of one of the biggest one of the biggest problems that we have as far as gender issues and gender problems in rollerblading is that I think that most people don't think that there's a problem, and that's 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 really crippling to to beginning a conversation about it because. Um, you know there's there's many 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 things that I could say and point to uh, and I haven't really I haven't really got a good hierarchy to try to drive home to people what the problem is but uh, you know I, I would I would argue very strongly that that rollerblading is a really exceptionally misogynistic culture and we've seen this throughout throughout the history of rollerblading for the last you know 20 or whatever years where we don't necessarily view ourselves and view each other as as bad guys who hate women, but we create an environment through all these things that we love and appreciate about rollerblading—the aggression, the speed, uh, the danger, the thrill of a fight, all this kind of stuff. Uh, the you know love of confrontation. A lot of people revel in getting kicked out and fucking yelling back at the security guard and stuff like that. Um, but. While, while we have this, this kind of dichotomy that I was talking about earlier where we do rely on this uh, one half of us is, is order and, 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 and cosmos oriented and the other side of us is really aggressive and violent and, and even at times hateful and uh, what, what we have then is that a significant portion of what we do creates a very hostile environment for women and young women and even you know, young girls who want to start rollerblading. Um, And, you know, some of it is just open hostility and others of it is really subtle. Like, you know, people like it's it's very common parlance in rollerblading to say, you know, so and so was going to do a trick at this rail and we drove there so we could film it and he bitched out. Like, we say that and we say, you know, this guy's a pussy because he wouldn't jump on the rail. Like, there's a lot of very subtle things like that that don't seem subtle to us and they don't seem offensive to us, but they're deeply offensive and they make. Parents and uh, moms and dads and, you know, younger, younger women and, and girls want to get the fuck away from us and never want to skate or rollerblade because it's a hostile environment. And they, they want you, what you find is, is some of the best talent in female rollerblading is in uh, skate park skating. Just just off the top of my head, people like Katie Ketchum and uh, Stephanie Richter from, from France, those Those gals can fucking skate a skate park man, and it's not it's not with any kind of apology they can they can skate the shit out of that stuff and so what I think is that uh places like skate parks are are considerably more uh or less hostile environments because people are more or less there to skate the ramps, and there aren't the kind of external um, um, external factors like, you know, wanting to confront security guards and wanting to not be pushed around and the kind of violent aggression that that we embrace in certain aspects of skating. Uh, you know, the, the gals who are really, really good at skating tend to be really good at skate park, and that's because um, I think the skate parks are far less hostile places for, for young women to go to, um, at least by comparison to an average street session where it, things get pretty rowdy at times.
0: Do you think that uh, the the misogyny stuff comes from uh, you know a lot of feminine things being related to having wheels on your feet and wanting very badly to just go in the other direction from that, it, Saying like no no look we're not gay we're not gay look we're we're aggressive and we like we well we like yeah women.
1: I, I do think I do think that there's there's a, a lot to be to be uh, sorted out. As far as uh, the kind of the kind of chip we have on our shoulder about about you know being being called homosexual and all these kinds of things and and really producing a backlash in our culture that's genuinely pretty fucking homophobic um, and I, I do think that oftentimes the, the 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 gay is equated with the the, the feminine. Um, in ways that, that really benefits no one except for a kind of a dominant class of, of, of sort of white men or men in general. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's out of our own fear that we act this way. It's out of our own fear that someone will dethrone us. It's out of our own fear of being emasculated. It's out of our own fears broadly uh, that we have to other people to, to say why we're okay and they're different. But... Yeah. The, the, real thing, the real thing that I would point to as far as this, that I think this is a good, a good opportunity to, to answer that question and bring in the other whole side of this, um, which is something that I really just happened upon, um, which is a, a movement in Italy from basically 100 years ago. It lasted from about 1909 through, well, pretty much through the middle of World War I, where uh, these group of people, these group of men in Italy started calling themselves the Futurists. And uh, they wrote a manifesto. And I would encourage anybody listening to this to go and Google the Futurist Futurist Manifesto and read it. And if you compare that to the entire ad campaign of Senate, you, you, you get this very, very scary thought of, People who are promoting fascism and violence and warfare uh, and and misogyny and hatred of women and contempt for women, um, and that and that their manifesto is almost identical to 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 our own. If there were a rollerblading manifesto, depending on who it was written by, it would look frighteningly like this, like like futurism. Um, okay, I've I've got it. I've got a couple of them right here. Can I read a couple of these things?
0: Yeah, of course. I want to hear it.
1: Okay, so. There is, a, there is an itemized list. So the, the I mean, uh, the, the genre of manifesto writing is a very big and elaborate genre. It's as big as anything. It's as big as novel writing. It's as big as poetry. It's its, its own genre of thing. Um, and so there's a lot of text, and then at the bottom the actual manifesto is enumerated, and they give, let's see, I think they give eleven. There may be more than eleven, but I only copied and pasted eleven onto this document but you can find it just by searching for Futurist Manifesto and it should come up in Google like first try but um, let me let me read a couple of these things and you tell me how much it sounds like uh, like Senate back in the day excellent so item item number one we want to sing the love of danger the habit of energy and rashness number two the essential elements of our poetry will be courage audacity and revolt and then in the in the third one Uh, We want to exalt all movements of aggression, feverish sleeplessness, the double march, the perilous leap, um, and the slap and the blow uh, with the fist. They also embrace the wheel as a general thing, particularly in the form of a car, but also the wheel in general as symbolic of uh, of industry and speed. Um, They declare that the splendor of the world has been enriched by the beauty of speed. Uh, they also say, we want to sing the praise of the man at the wheel, the ideal axis which crosses the earth, itself hurled along its orbit. Um, and then and then later they say, uh, beauty exists only in struggle. There is no masterpiece that has not an aggressive character. So the only thing that's, that's, that's beautiful is, is aggression. Um, Poetry must be a violent assault on all of the forces of the unknown. The force to them must bow before man. And then the the last couple of things, these are 9 9 and 10. Uh, Number 9, we want to glorify war, the only cure for the world, militarism, patriotism, uh, the uh, the destructive gesture of the anarchists, the beautiful ideas which kill, and outright contempt for women. Number ten, we want to demolish museums and libraries, fight morality, feminism, and all opportunist and utilitarian cowardice. So it's it's a it's a laundry list of things, and and I, I mentioned this. Uh, I don't know if anybody read the uh, the piece that I wrote on Andrew Broom in the last uh, one digital edition, but um, you know the the kind of the kind of speed and aggression and the perilous leap and the enthrallment with the wheel. Uh, and and the, the the just in general the, the violence and and uh, aggression and even contempt for women is is something that, that we we are uh, subject to in that, that dichotomy that I was talking about earlier, where the, the kind of the animalistic or the the um, the chaos in us that occupies approximately half of, of rollerblading. Is, is very violent and uh, very aggressive and very hostile and, and I would say is very particularly hostile towards women. And, and one of the things that we can point to as evidence of that is that uh, historically uh, female rollerbladers have occupied between maybe one and five percent of the total population. I think, I think that you actually posted something earlier on Facebook that said uh, that we were going to have this podcast. And it said, "Ladies and gentlemen, even though I know almost all of you are gentlemen."
0: Yeah, I put. Yeah, that
1: was. You know, yeah. Everybody knows this. They're, they're like maybe one percent of rollerbladers. I mean, maybe one to five percent.
0: Yeah, yeah, In uh, I totally think a boys' club. In skiing and snowboarding, there's like entire industries, then teams and stuff built around women participants.
1: Yeah, uh, that's, that's actually something that I had a conversation with uh, Shannon Rogers about a very, very long time ago. And it's a kind of a pet theory of mine that the, the talent gap, so, so it's, almost, it's almost universal that in athletic competition, men are, are, are better than the women uh, at the activity. Uh, there have been fantastic exceptions to this, uh, a big one in tennis, uh, some other stuff in, in gymnastics and figure skating and other things. Um, but generally speaking, the, 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 the fields are a little bit smaller, the, the ball is often smaller, women are generally physically smaller, so if you look at basketball for instance, there's a slightly smaller basketball that women use compared to the slightly larger basketball that the men use, and the ball size is designed to accommodate the average hand of the user, um, and so you get, you get differences like that, but, if you look at, if you look at the, what, I'm, what I'm calling the talent gap, which is you take, the best, you take the best in the world at that activity who's male and compare his talent against the best female in the world, there's some distance between there. And I call that the, the talent gap. And uh, it, it occurs to me that the talent gap is much smaller in activities, particularly action sports, where the cost of the sport itself is debilitatingly expensive or prohibitively expensive. So, so to say what I mean by that, if you look at things that are outrageously expensive to do, like snowboarding and skiing and wakeboarding, right? Yeah. Those are very expensive activities to do because um, in order to do it and to become good enough to say go to the Olympics for it, your parents have to own a cabin in veil or a timeshare in Vail, and you have to be able to buy boots and skis and winter gear, and you have to be able to buy uh, the skis and the equipment, and you have to be able to buy the lift tickets and the hotel stays and all that kind of stuff, versus like you need $50 to get a skateboard. Yeah. You get yourself a skateboard for $50, or you could be in a third world country and have a soccer ball, and you only need one ball, and the entire community can play. You know, everybody in town can come play soccer as long as we have one ball. And you just have a team of 20, 20 people on one team and 20 people on the other team. And it occurs to me that the, that the talent gap is much, much smaller in the sports that are, that are prohibitively expensive. And it, I think it's because those sports tend to be family activities. And the younger women tend to get into it at a much earlier age. So when you go skiing in Colorado you'll see girls who are four years old skiing down the hill at, at, at a good fucking clip, you know. And we're talking about four-year-old, four-year-old children. And, and you know, when women start, when, when anyone starts at four years old, by the time they're 24, they've been doing it for 20 years, you know. And if you look at the gap between the best snowboarders who are male and the best uh, snowboarders who are female, the gap isn't that big. Some of those ladies can chuck fucking big ass, you know, 900s and stuff over an 80-foot kicker and steeze that shit out the whole way. And it doesn't look like you wouldn't see it and be like, oh, that's a girl skier. Like, you wouldn't know. Everybody's covered head to toe in in, in, in stuff. And the gap is much, much smaller. But you look at things that aren't prohibitively expensive, like, you know, rollerblading or skateboarding or BMX, and the gap is massive. The, gas, the gap is totally fucking massive. I mean... I, I've got a list here of, of gals who, who I just have been searching through YouTube videos and watching sections of, and some of these gals are really, really good. You know, this, this gal, yeah, Jenna, Jenna Downing from, from UK. Oh, yeah. She's really fucking good, man. She's really fucking good, and she's about to get a pro skate from Razors, I think.
0: Really? Yeah. it's That's gonna be cool. A red,
1: it's, I think it's going to be a red or white SL boot, I've
0: heard. Oh, that's cool. That's very cool. That's uh, not since what Tasha Hodgson?
1: Yeah, I think not since. Yeah, she had that that what baby blue,
0: uh, oxygen. She may have had the white one, or Maybe. yeah. Um, and she had a, a wheel for Senate, right? I think
1: so. Um, it could have been medium, but I don't
0: remember. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. But I've got I've got I've got a list
1: of, of gals, and I can just can I just read these real fast? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So Sh- Shannon Shannon Rogers, who yeah. came up with Austin.
0: She's got my, uh, Kate, she's got my Kate, birthday. Props. What's that? Oh, I just wanted to shout out that that we have the same birthday. So props to Shannon Rogers. Oh, you and Shannon? Yeah. Awesome. Same year, same yeah. day. Anyways. Oh, awesome. Keep going. So, yeah,
1: Shannon's from Austin, and she's she's a really really good street skater. I mean, she's done ledges and and rails yeah. in Austin. Well, definitely definitely ledges that I wouldn't touch.
0: Her life plus section. I remember I showed it to my girlfriend at the time and my sister, and they were so stoked.
1: Yep, Shannon. Yeah, Shannon was dope, dude. She did some gnarly shit. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, Katie Ketchum from Buffalo. I don't know if you know her. She's badass. Yeah. Uh, Fabiola, obviously. Mm-hmm. There's a gal from Japan whose name is Chihiro Azuma.
0: Oh, I gotta watch her. She had just said something on Roller News. I haven't watched it yet. She's
1: badass dude, and uh that gal stephanie Ricker, Rick, Richter or Ricker richard yeah she she's badass there's a uh, a gal I've never heard of before from Spain called uh sarah um the v- Vilea?
0: V- yeah, I think I watched her thing just recently on roller news there's um, another
1: chick from uh, a gal from uh, from Slovenia called um Ursa Verbik. And then in, in Texas, we've got uh, these two gals in Houston, Jen Costello and Lindsey Costello. And both of them are badass. Um, I saw a section earlier today of a gal called uh, Maria Cristina Grassella from Brazil. Oh, yeah. She, she was amazing, dude. She is amazing. And then, and then you've got all the other gals who are more or less household names like Coco Sanchez, uh, Fallon, Fallon. And yeah. Aaron Gates, and, and uh, China. what's her name? Uh, I don't know how
0: to say her last name we we're we're we're
1: install, Weir install, install, install. I mean, there's there's some there's some powerhouse ladies, dude. But you know, they're and they're they're amazing. They do awesome shit and they skate with great style and great power. Um, but like, you compare anything that they've done against like Chris Haffey's drip drop section, like get real. You know, the gap is enormous. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not saying this to, to, to belittle the women because they're fantastic, fantastic skaters. And, and, you know, they don't look deficient in any way. They're, they're incredible.
0: Oh, one they more. They
1: skate with power and control, and they come out fakie and do all the things that we would put as benchmarks for good skating. And all, every single one of those ladies that I just named is a badass.
0: Yeah. One more badass that I have to name uh, because I'm pretty sure she started skiing and then just killed everything in skiing. Kaya Turski. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one more that I just wanted to say because I I swear she won like gold in X Games or something. Some she did something ridiculous <laughs> within her first few years of picking up skis. Yeah. So, but um, and there's a did you watch? There's a section in was it in Forever Now or there's a girls section where they went on a tour and then there was an article in an old Daily Bread.
1: Oh, yeah. I don't. I don't. Um. I don't know off the top of my head, but. I'm I'm aware that those things have been out there. And like like Shannon's Life Plus section, you know. Yeah. And uh Katie Ketchum has been around for a long time.
0: So then what Oh, and there's one other point that I wanted to say that uh do you ever reflect on the idea that there's some of the male styles in skating have almost a feminine twist if that makes any sense that uh that some of like um like Sean Santamaria who's who was very influential and I don't know if anybody agrees with it or not, but Mikey Yeager and Sean Santa Maria, it was almost like a lighter on your feet movement, almost a feminine style of skating that became really popular. Uh, do, would, do you ever think I, about that?
1: Well, yeah, I mean I think I think that there's there's a there's an impulse to equate grace with the feminine.
0: Okay. So and it's th- not a feminine style, but you know what I'm trying to say, right? Well, that yeah,
1: but I, I think I think that, that that given what I'm saying about rollerbladers, I would I would have to make the rhetorical choice to say that it's not at all feminine, whether it's a male or a female doing it. It's graceful, and you know we're not used to grace. No, <laughs> we, we we prize we prize grace, and you know good style and stees and all that we worship, um, but. I, I would be I would be hesitant to call it feminine, particularly because there's nothing inherently feminine about it. A, and that uh, the community I think would reject that. And I also think that Sean and Micah would both be offended by that. Uh, really, I don't think that they it's, it's that they're so insecure in their masculinity that they would they would be offended. Uh, I, I think that the sentiment that you're trying to communicate uh, is is spot on. And those dudes those dudes are both. Very graceful and, and very uh, controlled and and uh, fluid, I think. Yeah, there. Uh, yeah, it's but probably. I think it's. I don't mean to. I don't mean to bang you over the head with this, but I think that that's exactly the kind of thing that you know when we seek grace, we tend to immediately equate it with uh, the feminine, and I absolutely. think that absolutely uh, emotion emotion for a very long time has been equated with the feminine, whereas the logical and the rational has been equated with the masculine. And that's a very obvious power dynamic where, um, you know, the the, the people in power want to make what they do normal and they want to other, as a verb, other the things that are different from them. So, for instance, you know, what's normal is to be a man uh, and what's normal is to be white. And anything that's divergent from that is exactly that, it's divergent. So when we think of race, for instance, uh, a lot of white people don't think of themselves as belonging to the white race because it's it's sort of understood as being um, impolite because of the KKK and because of uh, the Nazis and because of other things that you know we, we think that it's rude and impolite to talk about our own whiteness, but we belong to the white race and we tend to ignore that because we think that it's impolite. Uh, and what that does instead is create... A situation where the only people who have race are the people who have brown skin. Wow. And and the people who have gender are people who are, fe- are female. So, you know, if you're just talking about, if I said I saw a rollerblader the other day, you would automatically assume that it's a, a dude.
0: Yeah, holy. <laughs> it's such a big issue to talk about that isn't talked about very often at all. No, it's, no, it's almost never talked about. And there's, there's only a handful of people who are either A,
1: interested in having the conversation or B, participating in the conversation, or we're still, C, even, even listening to the conversation.
0: What about like having, it's so weird, like having a more expressive style is, al- is also uh, related to feminine. Where does that come from? That is, a, that, is that the emotional thing? As a male, especially in the action sports thing, it's it's very tattoos and speed oh. and danger. And right, but,
1: but we tend to we tend to exist at the kind of extremes of a pendulum swing where, you know, the, the kind of the kind of uh, boisterous activity of men would be in, in violence or in celebration, and then the rest of the time, we're we're kind of trained to be quiet the rest of the time. That we tend to think of people's dads as sitting alone in a room smoking a, 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 a <laughs> pipe and quietly reading the paper, <laughs> or they're you know fairly aggressively you know doing man's work like you know chopping down trees and working in a factory you know. Yeah. And so there's there's the, the, the male the male identity kind of exists at these two extremes where it's either rage or perfect quiet. And so the, the middle ground of, of there being kind of, uh, civil discourse, uh, you know, or even, or even chattiness, uh, we tend to locate women there where, you know, people talk about, you know, these, these fairly offensive things like the hen house, you know, to refer to a a salon or a, or a boutique or something where, you know, women hang out there and they just, you know, be chatty and shit like that. Um, what we've, what we've basically done is we've, we've, the men or the male the male culture has occupied you know we get silence we get that we're calling dibs on that and we also get the boisterous rage and the loud rancor and we we occupy those two spaces and then we kind of subjugate women to this sort of middle area where it's just kind of happy chatter and banter and whatever you know chat gossip and 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 sort of expressiveness uh... is the kind of middle ground and um it's bad for both genders I think it's bad for men uh to to be kind of pigeonholed into those extremes and it's bad for women to be pigeonholed in that in that sort of central extreme
0: well then are we are we talking about being limited by language then cuz you still you still uh hear people say like um you know in a relationship there might be a female that's almost has more of a male personality and her husband might have more feminine tendencies, if you know what I you know what I mean sometimes and and that word still gets thrown around so much, so is there better words to use than than well
1: I, I think I think this is this is something that's really good to know about language is that is that language, just like rollerblading language, there's so much that we can learn from understanding our own rollerblading language that can then be be extrapolated to, to uh to, to apply to other areas. Uh, and, and one of the things that I would say is that the language is always in service to the culture. So it's not that, you know, I mean, yes, we need to stop saying the word bitch and we need to stop saying the word pussy. and We need to just excise that from our vocabulary. But that wouldn't in itself solve the problem, right? The problem is, 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 is oblivious contempt for women, you know. It's, 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 a, it's a kind of an ingrained inequity uh, that we can't necessarily see on the surface. And, you know, one of the things that you, that, that's, let me say one thing and then I'll come back to that. Yeah. Um, as, as, as a white man, I spend very little time thinking about my gender and I spend very little time thinking about my race. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> one so of the bad. things that just happened last week uh, with, with the president coming back and, and kind of re-responding to the Trayvon Martin uh, um, verdict that just came out. Uh, what happened was the verdict came out maybe two or three weeks ago, and the president went on TV saying, "Well, you know, it's the it's, it's the court system, and you know we have to respect that this is the way that the court system works." And it was this really kind of lukewarm response, and and a lot of people were outraged. They were like, "Dude, you may not want to be the black president, but you're a black president, and you know there's massive racial problems in the United States, and you're the even if you're not going to be the black president, you still need to be the president." and step up and say when things are outrageous and, and, and lead us to a, to a better day kind of thing. And, um, you know, he came back on like a week later after having kind of mulled over in his mind that like, wow, that was a really stupid-ass thing to do. I need to go on there and say exactly what he did. He said, you know, what was the most striking thing, he said, was that this could have been my child. You know, this is the black kid at the wrong place at the wrong time got in a fight with a guy who killed him. And it sucks. Everything about it sucks Um, and is terrible and it's a terrible tragedy. Um, But when the president comes on and says that could have been me, I could have been a black guy at the wrong place at the wrong time and would just be another black guy with a, a hole in the head and very few people would actually care. It's different, obviously, because he's the president. But if he weren't, it could easily be him. And then it, he also said that it could just as easily be his child. And I think that I think that blacks in the United States, for instance, spend a humongous amount of time being reminded that they're black. And it's one of the things, like uh, like pastoral power, that I wrote a, a second place article about. Pastoral power is is kind of like hegemony, where it's not actual threat of violence that that is what's being enforced uh, it's basically taught to you and you enforce it against yourself so it's that it's that the whites in this country have created an environment where white people never think about their race but the blacks are constantly reminded that they're black and I think that it's exactly the same and I'm coming back now to the point which was that women are constantly reminded that they're women and they spend a lot of time thinking about their 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 gendered identity Whereas uh, men aren't made to think that way. We aren't made to think, we're not reminded that we're men because we're the dominant, we're the dominant uh, group. And so we're normal. We don't think about that. It's not part of our day. But uh, for, for any kind of minority, you're constantly reminded. And I think that to tie this in with rollerblading, um, you go to any skate park, especially back in the day, and you were constantly aware that you were a rollerblader and you were not a skateboarder, you were not a BMX guy or gal, Mostly guy, but you know we were reminded often, often that we're rollerbladers. And you know somebody, somebody just the other day was at my house, and and it was someone I didn't know, and they said, "Oh, do you skate?" And I said, "No, I rollerblade." And and it's and it's a kind of a point of pride where the same as the is the same as the gay community in this country. They're having to they're having to say, "No, I no, I'm 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 gay. I'm gay, and and I'm I'm content to tell you that." Um, and I, I think that there's a lot of people in rollerblading who are content to use the word skate uh, because it, it avoids that. You know, do you skate? Yeah, I skate. And they're gonna, the person's going to go off thinking that you skateboard. And, and I don't want somebody to go off thinking that I skateboard because I'm not a fucking skateboarder. I'm a rollerblader. And if somebody asks me if I skate, I always correct them and say, no, I rollerblade. And, and I think that it's just going to take a long time before, you know, that means anything to anyone. Yeah. For all uh, I know they think that I skate up and down the sidewalk. And I don't really care, but I'd rather have them think that I skate up and down the sidewalk than to think that I ride a skateboard, because I do skate up and down the sidewalk. I'm and I definitely st- don't ride a scooter or a skateboard.
0: <clears throat> I'm still having a lot of trouble with uh where the conversation goes after I say I rollerblade. Because it's uh that's that's more just on me than anything, but I still haven't found the best explanation and that's almost an exciting thing. so, so well, where do, what, what do you go it, from there? What is that you
1: want them to know? Um, and what is it that you want them to think? And what is it that you want them to
0: not think? It's a really good question. It's a, there's just a look of confusion sometimes. And then since I'm a visual person, I always try and I throw out uh, too many words. And then maybe it makes more sense. But you're right. It should just be a word. I'm a rollerblader you ever get questions though after that
1: uh people people often will clarify like it was less i mean in the in the early late 90s and early 2000s you would get more of the like you you skate around or you play hockey or you speed skate or you do like ramps and stuff and i would usually just end with you know yeah ramps and stuff and that's good enough and i don't often want to have the conversation anyway ramps Although, and
0: stuff that's pretty good
1: um, a lot of people, though, um, are interested. And anybody who is interested, I'd be happy to sit down and have a long conversation about because I know a great deal about rollerblading and I've spent two decades learning a lot about it. Um, but I, I think I think the most important thing in that, in that conversation, when you're having it, you, you need to decide ahead of time who are the kinds of people that you want to really understand what you do and who are the people that you really don't give a shit about and who are the people that you just want them to know that you do rollerblading as opposed to Parkour.
0: Yeah, you're right. That I Jacob's article was really good on touching on some of that stuff. Just stuff that mm-hmm. the, the one that Jacob wrote. I'm surprised more people haven't commented on that because it was uh He kind of he was able to articulate some things just like ha, just like you now that uh, I think about all the time that it's it's hard to put into words that stuff that uh it, and is that related to that pastoral power the and the chip on the shoulder. That I, how I expect people to have a weird reaction to the word rollerblading, that, that that's all on me?
1: Um, well, I, I think, I think that, that anticipating that they're going to think that you're deficient by, by kind of admitting, so to speak, that you're a rollerblader and that you're not a skateboarder, uh, for instance, um, it, 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 I would say that it comes from you, but it's a part of you that's acting against your own best interest
0: yeah absolutely
1: so so you arrive at the conversation from years of being called faggot and from years of being called rollerblader as if it's a put down uh, you know and you you can always you can always tell who who is a dominant group at any given moment in time um, by looking at whether one group or the other group has a name that's also a bad word oh yeah. So, so, like, if you think about, um, like, in this country, in, the, in the, like, the cable TV and stuff, the word liberal is used as an insult often. <laughs> yeah. You know, you fucking liberals, you fucking socialists, you fucking this and that, like, you, you can start to see where the, the, the dominant power is normed as being basic or, or uh, um, like, the inherent normal. And anything that's divergent from that is what's weird and different and fucked up. So, you know, skating means skateboarding.
0: Ah, uh, it's too bad.
1: I mean, the, the in in, uh, in um, and I think I think that I think that people use that use that in English. I think worldwide. I think that in France or Japan or Germany, like in France, you're a roller,
0: a roller. Oh, that's that's pretty good. Did you see that? I posted that video where um, there was a guy. It was like 1970 something, and it was an NHL player. Uh, oh yeah,
1: I I did see that. And he was skating around in his neighborhood.
0: Yeah, and he's uh, it was before Rollerblade the brand existed, and he yep. said we're they're called street skates, and I was like motherfucker. If only that, <laughs> if only street skates would have been, the brand name that stuck. I thought, that, I thought that that was a good name for, our, for rollerblades, street skates.
1: I mean, I'm, I, I never in my life felt like an inline skater, and I never felt like an inliner, but rollerblader it worked for me, and it works just fine for me. And I, if, I, if I were gay, I would say I was, I'm gay, and I'm a rollerblader, and I'd say I'm a rollerblader. Like, good this point. Part of my identity, and I, I'm not ashamed of it being what I'm called. It's, it's, a, it's a community that I self-identify with, and I don't think that rollerblader is a bad word. And I don't any longer have the expectation that anyone that I'm going to interact with is going to think that I wear spandex and skate on the boardwalk. And even if they do, I don't actually care. If they know so little about my community, I have one of two two uh, choices. I can either get them to sit down with me and try to educate them and play some YouTube videos and say, okay, here's a fucking Chris Haffey section where he's jumping over your house and and uh you know here's a section of me and here's uh, the articles that i write and here's all this stuff um and that would take a very long time and i don't actually care that much because the rollerblading community is largely insular and and i think that this goes back to the tendencies we have towards anarchy and towards order where i'm i'm really pretty content with the with the way that things are um i think that there's a lot of guys who love it, and they're going to continue to own and run companies and manufacture parts and skates. Uh, and we're not looking at a water world, you know, that Kevin Costner movie where, you know, the world ended and the whole world flooded. We're not looking at that. We're not looking at having to try to cobble together parts and make our own. Yeah, There's, there's companies manufacturing stuff, and they're going to continue to for, you know, decades. So there's no threat of it going away. And... Um, I, I don't need anyone else to know about it. I don't need anyone else to care about it. I think that we do need to we do need to have some kind of outreach where there's, you know, younger people coming into the to, to the activity. But um, you know, we don't we don't really I don't really need somebody who I pass on the sidewalk or somebody who walks by my garage and says, Hey, there's a grind box right there, do you skate? I'm content to just say no. I don't even know what that thing is. No, I don't skate. I've never heard of skating. I don't know what that box is doing there. I don't need them to care. I don't need them to know because there are a thousand people that I know around the world who do already know and who do already care. And I don't need to waste my time trying to educate some dickhead on the sidewalk because I know a thousand people worldwide who are dying to talk to me about rollerblading and dying to rollerblade with me and and are willing to let me stay on their couch just because I'm a rollerblader. You know, skateboarding lost that where, you know, you show up in a town and say, hey, I'm here. I'm in Berlin and I I skateboard. Uh, Let me find another skateboarder. And you find him and you say, hey, I'm from the United States and I'm here on on vacation and I'd like to skate with you and tour and, you know, have you show me around. They're going to say, fuck you. I don't care about you.
0: (laughs) Goddamn. That was all really good what you just said.
1: Having a skateboard doesn't get you anything, but... You know, I've traveled around Europe uh, uh, like a dozen times, half a dozen times at least. And and we just had these guys from Europe all staying at in, 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 in my house. And they know that there's a dude who they can find and who can take them out to the bar and show them a good time and show them where the skate park is and skate with them. And then go to the bar and then go home and have a place to sleep. And it's wow. legit.
0: Yeah. And there's
1: nothing else like that. And frankly, I would prefer that to Solomon and K2 getting back in and making you know big skates and having good paid teams, I'm fine with it being grassroots because the things that I think are beautiful about it are the fact that we have our own community and we don't need anybody else. We're going to make our own wheels. We're going to make our own skates. We're going to make our own you know skate parks. We're going to make our own everything. And if we don't have skate parks, we'll go back to Skating Street.
0: Oh, I really want to see the first rollerblading park. I hope it happens in my lifetime.
1: Well... That's, that's funny that you say that because uh, a good friend of mine, actually, you know, Jan Welch's best friend is a guy named Colin McMorrow, and he's a uh, BMX guy from forever ago, and he is what's called a trail boss. He did like 90% of the work to build what's called a rhythm or a pump track, which is a really, really brilliant thing where you build it into a cupped. You find a, a, a hillside that's kind of cupped, and you build an oval track, where the ramps in the bottom get big enough so that you go down the thing on one side. Suppose you're going clockwise through it. You carve around this thing, and you do bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger jumps to where you're gaining speed as you go down, and you actually have enough speed to get back up to the top.
0: Oh, shit. I've never thought about that before.
1: So these guys guys build these things called pump tracks, and this guy who's Jan's friend, his name's Cullen, uh, he's wildly interested in, in skate park design and ramp design and anything like that. And what they do is incredibly efficient because they have these sessions with like fucking 50 guys and they all show up and they all ride at the same time. Like you can get 20 guys going at the same time. You don't just have people waiting around for their turn because only one person can go at a time. Uh, the parks have been really terrible and it's largely, I think, because we've, they've been accommodating skateboarding. Which is exactly what you would predict. Skateboarding is the norm, and everybody else has to adjust to it. That's why we get square coping on boxes and, you know, coping that doesn't stick out where the shit on the top lip of the ramp and other stuff like that, and yeah. square rails and so on,
0: yeah. and
1: banks and banks with no tranny at the bottom. But the real, the real crossover, I think, is, is rollerblading needs to get together with BMX because those are the guys that want to do huge ramps and long jumps and rhythm, you know, but, you know, you put you put three jump boxes in a row, and there's only, like, one guy in your town who could do it on a skateboard. Yeah. But, like, every rollerblader in town could do three jump boxes in a row.
0: <laughs> Dude, that one Bitter Cold Showdown that was at the BMX Park was my favorite in he, terms of skating. Do you remember that one? Yep. At the Flow? Yep. Um Some of the most incredible Bitter Cold Showdown tricks ever done, and it was at a BMX Park, just mm-hmm. to reinforce that point. But um,
1: he... This guy, Cullen, mm-hmm. is really interested in, in in ramp design ideas that I've had and other rollerbladers have had because he, he can see the connection between how we want to have ramps, you know, how we want to have a skate park set up and, and specifically that we want what they want and they definitely don't want the exact same things that we definitely don't want. Like crisscrossing traffic and idiot two-foot-tall banks and shit like that. <laughs> like, we could give a fuck about a two-foot bank. I mean, that's... Like, for us, 540ing over the bank is a thing. Yeah. You don't, you don't use the bank. It's, it's, it's small enough that you just jump over the whole fucking thing.
0: <laughs> what, what do you think about the, that influence of uh, skateboard-style parks on skating? It's, it's definitely uh, made rollerblading even more technical and nuanced, for me at least. Some well, of that stuff.
1: I think it's a a, a kind of a, to me it's it's more of a waste and it, it enforces that, you know, kids who are just starting, they realize that those ramps really aren't made to accommodate rollerblades, they're made to accommodate skateboards. And that's how they keep their power is by maintaining a situation where the young kids who come try it out, the stuff is easier to do on a skateboard, it makes more sense on a skateboard, it's funner on a skateboard. Uh, but, if you build parks like they're building in the western United States right now, these giant tranny parks with huge quarter pipes and jump boxes and hips and bowls that's not for skateboarding that's for i mean some of it is, but you know these these big bowls we can we can take advantage of that stuff huge ramps that's our territory. The only thing that we haven't got good uh good suction to uh to in with those city councils is to get rails put in like round rails, handicap rails, stair rails. Kink rails, because that's where that's where we eat. We're rollerbladers. We grind. We're grinder bladers. That's who we are. So, as far as as far as that being bad for skateboarding, it's or bad for rollerblading. It's bad for rollerblading because uh, we're we're hemorrhaging we're hemorrhaging young kids to skateboarding because the parks are designed to accommodate skateboarding.
0: So true. What what do you think about uh, the idea of choice now with um there's how many acts so there's skateboarding BMX scootering and rollerblading you have you have four choices as a as a kid on what you can get into and do you think you're going to see more kids uh like young kids trying out maybe a bringing a, a couple different things to the skate park or how do you see rollerblading fitting into that idea of of choice um on what you can do
1: um well, at the moment, you know, it, it, well, in the, in, the, in the mid-90s, you know, skateboarding kind of got together as a conspiracy and said, look, we're hemorrhaging our numbers to, to rollerblading. They are taking all the young kids because you can put them on and you can jump over a thing by the end of the day, whereas you can't kickflip by the end of the day, you know. Yeah. And, and I think that where we were a threat to them, I think that scootering is really a threat to us. Uh, especially when you look at the fact that Woodward, um, Woodward, like Owen, no longer has rollerblading at all, even on offer. Uh, wow. rollerblading in Pennsylvania only has the first seven weeks, of which there's only one cabin's worth of rollerbladers, so we're talking about 20 or 30 kids, and then, and then the last seven weeks of summer are, are, for rollerblading are held at Woodward, uh, West. Uh, and no other, I don't know about the ones in Asia, but, um... No other no other Woodward has an inline program at all. And we have been almost entirely replaced by scooters.
0: Yep. <clears throat> at the park today, there were... I think there were more... The last two or three times I've been at the park, just here in town, uh, there's been more scooters. I'd go in the mornings, but there's been more scooters than any other activity. And it's been mm-hmm. really interesting to see just on a local level because that represents a massive amount of scooters worldwide.
1: I like a... Yeah yeah um Um, as far as as far as choice though i think that that's up to that's up to rollerbladers uh to talk to other people in the skate park and to be our own emissaries
0: yeah you're right i think we talked about that last uh, time
1: yeah if we're gonna if we're going to um go go it on our own and and be free of espn and corporate interests that sucks and is just going to take advantage of us and and leave us for dead when they're done making their money off of us uh, if we're going to go it alone, then it's up to us to do the recruiting, and we need to spend more time talking to to kids. And you know, somebody speaking of Cody Sanders, who's just back in town. Um, Cody is a guy who's really, really good about talking to fucking anybody. He'll talk to the Hessian fucking skaters. He'll talk to the you know beefcake ass BMX guys, and he'll talk to kids and say, "Hey, do you have a pair of rollerblades? Have you ever tried rollerblades? Do you want to try my rollerblades?" And as a, as a rider, you know, I mean, I, 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 I believe that he still rides for rollerblade. Um, you know, that's exactly who companies should be sponsoring is guys who will say here, try on my skates. And if you fuck them up, I'll just call my guy and ask for a new, new rollerblades. You know? Yeah. Uh, th- that's, that's, we need, we need more of that. I think Brian Aragon is really good about that and being a good positive, uh, role model, um, I think there's a lot of people out there who are good, kind people who would say, come, come, join my community. It's an awesome thing to do. It's fun. We've got a great community. We've got a lot to offer. And, and that kind of, uh, I, I hesitate to say, uh, evangelism. But, yeah. you know, we, we do have to be recruiting or at, least, or at least looking, you know, enticing enough that people would want to do it on their own and find out on their own. What do you think about it's, that? It, I mean, oh, that's fucking cool looking. I want to be able to do that. And I think that Haffy is great for that. I think that Richie Eisler is great for that, maybe even for slightly older guys. You know, the idea of being, you know, 20, 22 and being like, dude, you get into this rollerblade thing, travel the world, skate all this stuff, go around the world, meet all these people and do all this stuff and travel. That sounds awesome. Sign me up. Yeah. And you potentially get a, a demographic of college age guys or, or, or gals taking an interest in rollerblading at, at, at that late richie's, know, not, we need to accommodate every nine-year-old in the country
0: yeah richie's a good one too for uh just the sheer amount of material if he was your favorite skater how yeah. long he's been killing it for yeah. uh whereas like just selfishly i'm always so depressed that john elliott only has three sections and if john elliott would still be skating now and have as many sections as Richie Eisler. That's just so healthy for the history of skating. So I love yeah. that there's guys that have had, that they're still putting out sections. They're still putting out edits and things. And they've been doing it since they were like 17 or 18. That There's just a massive amount of material. That's yeah. so exciting. I love yeah. that we have that. Totally agree. Um, like Hafy I may have said this last time, but the I can't, even believe how many sections some of our top guys like Haffy Farmer Broskow have compared to some of these like people who were really high paid in the nineties that uh, didn't produce much of anything at all. Yeah, and uh, there's well, almost.
1: But but you have to you have to you have to remember though that those guys were at every ASA stop all yeah. over the country.
0: That's true. That's so, true.
1: You know, in a way, it's almost better because you didn't you didn't just get to you know. C B Love on TV, you got to meet him when he came to your town. And Dave Kolosh and and Arlo and fucking all those other guys who are ASA, Sean Robertson, um I mean, uh there's 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 a hundred people you could name. And they would be in your town.
0: Yeah. Uh I went to um ASA God, I put I posted a picture of Julio doing a sidewalk. The ASA where they destroy the car and fast shoes. Todd oh. and I went, and that was, that was a big thing. Like, apart from uh, seeing Hoax 2 and some of the earlier VGs, like seeing some of the first skate videos, that was also another, like, hook for me into the whole thing that I got to see. Like, I saw Ryan Jacklow and Misty Flip, like, live in Vancouver. And I saw Julio reveal the sidewalk pre-internet. Like, mm-hmm. it was amazing. And well, uh, I, that's I missing... Know.
1: What's that? I remember going to a NIST contest and, and being able to escape the actual Bower box. Oh And was, was and it good? Thing, was it like, as good as it looks? Oh, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful object. And, <laughs> and uh, you know that thing is like a piece of history, and we still call bower boxes bower boxes, at least down here.
0: What But doesn't it to be a bower box? Doesn't it have to have almost like a launch ramp instead of a straight ramp? to be a bower box or are it's,
1: you well, in rollerblading to me a bower box is really any kind of a pyramid with a up flat and down ledge on it
0: oh we call that a fun box i think over yeah. here um that is such a rollerblade specific uh thing that you don't see as much in skate parks hey all yeah,
1: right anymore no you used to see them all the time and it was more or less a standard uh, a standard thing but but you will notice that that kind of box used to be built just kind of cuz it was a standard object and the skateboarders got away from it cuz it's not a good thing for them. They don't oh. ollie that high. They don't jump that far. Uh there's really not much to it that they're interested in.
0: Oh, I want to I want to skate one of those with uh like like a like a half pyramid on either side, raised uh-huh. round coping uh-huh. and uh pretty long on the top, but not too long. And uh yeah. I would love to skate like a rollerblade-specific designed Oh, yeah. Concrete bower box. Some of yep. the skating that happened yep. on those things in the old I, videos. Sorry, what? Oh, sorry. Some of the skating that happened, like, um, you know, you can return to old-school videos, again, bring it back to that Gil Velasquez, the Royale Alip topsail. Some of the uh-huh. objects in some of the old NISS, um, yeah. the tricks are very specific because of the way some of those ramps were designed. Yep. And, uh, that's, that's another thing too. And that's, I guess that relates to the point of, you know, skateboard style parks influencing the way that we skate. Um, well,
1: that's, that's something that's really, really instructive is that, uh, as I've been saying, I think for most of this podcast, um, as the median age of rollerbladers gets older and we start to have an older generation where you start to have guys like, uh, uh, Richie Velasquez, who has a son who is a fucking rollerblader, you know, um, when, you, when we start to have enough people where we have an entire generation of fathers who have teenage you know, sons and daughters, that's when you start getting into the area where those are the people who will go to the town council meetings and say, yeah, I want to I weigh in on what should be in the skate park when you're going to build it because we're not going right now. Yeah. When, when, we, you know, when we're done skating for the day, uh, we go drink beer. We don't, we're, we're, we're in our 20s. <laughs> so true we don't we don't you know make notes and go down to the city council and say what we want in the new skate park that's being built
0: yeah. we have
1: actually no voice as far as the rest of the the kind of general um, body civic like the the rest of the citizens who pay taxes and pay for tennis courts and basketball courts and skate parks and soccer fields and everything else we're not going to those things yeah. And, and when you see that we have no representation there, it's really hard for me to stomach any complaining when you go to the skate park and say, man, it sucks, it's too bad this rail isn't round. Well, you didn't go to the fucking town council meeting. So until you start going to those things and actually learning how the process works and having to compromise with people and saying, well, you know, look, we would really, really like uh, a round rail, um, you know, but w- we will settle for a handicap rail, Um But we're willing to give up such and such other thing.
0: That's a really good point.
1: We're maybe trade. You know, we we as as we mature, we get to say, well, yeah, we'd really like a bower box too. But you know, we'll we'll trade you a bower box for a handicap rail. (laughs) We love a handicap rail, and every business in town would sing hallelujah to know that you know, fifty kids aren't going to roll up in front of their business anymore.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. We are getting to the age, though. I think now that I'm thirty one. I'm starting to get a little bit more inspired to think broadly about things like that. Uh, not so much the city council stuff yet, but even just the idea of eventually down the road doing like a demo or something on Canada Day. Some of that stuff. Yeah. The little tiny things that that you just don't think about because you're a selfish 20-year-old who's just enjoying life. Um, mm-hmm. Those things are popping in now and it I, it must mean that I'm becoming an adult in some way. But it's Whoa. exciting to know that our that because of the average age there's lots of people like Calgary's killing it right now they they do uh demos at festivals and they've been doing breakfast television and um not just from an aggressive perspective but just from a skating perspective and then when people go check out the shop, there's oh what what are these skates you know the stuff that I just don't think about before in terms of how people get into skating anyways <clears throat> that was a that was a side note, I guess.
1: Well, one of the things that's that's, I mean, I I haven't lived in in Austin for a really long time, and I wasn't here when any of the parks around here were being built. Um, and I and I won't I won't you know say that I necessarily would have been going to these things because you know seven years ago I was in my mid twenties and all I was talking about was you know work skate drink beer you know, but. Um, one of the things that we've noticed is that this uh, this there's basically where we have these box sessions on Sunday, is an abandoned tennis court, and one of the things that's coming up big time is uh, roller derby, where the the women are getting together these huge, huge. They're like as big. It's like as big as baseball. Like they yeah. have 30, 30 teams, like the Austin Roller Girls, I think they're called. Yeah. And Denver Denver had the Denver Roller Dolls or something like that, and they're everywhere. And they have really awesome stuff and there's beer for sale and there's music and there's an event and everything else and there's all kinds of shit going on and one of the things that we noticed is that on the on the um, wall of on the on the fence on the outside is the hours that the Austin roller girls have time set aside to use that abandoned tennis court for their practices Wow and so me and me and my friend uh, Jared McVeigh and the other, the other kind of Austin, you know, the other older guys, uh, Aunt Medina and uh, me and Jan and Jared McVeigh and Micah, um, we've been trying to make some better choices. Like our Facebook group used to be called uh, Austin Blader Gang or something like that. And I thought, you know, if we take this to the city, we don't want a name like Gang in our name. <laughs> and, you know, we want to be able to demonstrate that, like, look, we've had this Facebook group for, you know, five years. And we've had we have an organization and we have a democratic process to make decisions, and we're a legit group, and we would like to be able to have the court designated with our name on it so that we can't get kicked out when we want to have a box session. Wow. The other people who want to come use the court to play volleyball or something else it's just a big-ass, really smooth concrete slab it's just with a fence around it. that's all yeah. it is um, and so we're, we're, we're in, the, in the process now. Maybe by the next time I do another of these podcasts, we'll have something going. But uh, what we're trying to do right now is get get our house in order so that we can actually approach the city and get a designated time where they guarantee to have the lights on for us. If we're skating after sundown, they guarantee to have us not get kicked out. And they guarantee to provide a toilet and a trash can and all this kind of stuff.
0: That's incredible. And,
1: it's, it, and it's just for a flat piece of concrete. Like, all we want to do is be able to bring our box here, skate, and not get hassled, and then go away when we're done. That's all we want.
0: But that's a giant and step in the right direction.
1: I think, I think that it is. I think that it is. And, and a couple of the other guys in town have larger aspirations to do, uh, you know, contests and other kind of demos and events and things like that. But this is this is whether that's going to happen or not. This is definitely a kind of a first step. And if it has a totally generic name, like people complain about the name and say, "Oh, that's such a stupid name, Austin Rollerbladers," but it needs to be it needs to be a harmless sounding thing. It needs to be the kind of thing where you know a a, a parent could see it in the uh, alt weekly and say, "Hey, there's a rollerblading event. You want to take your rollerblades and go to this event?" And the kid could say, "Yeah, sure." And then the, the mom could drive him down there. And it wouldn't just be a bunch of dudes sitting around smoking cigarettes and drinking beer and stuff. You could actually have parents come, yeah. and it's it's something that I think is really vital to uh, to 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 creating a, a generation to come up now, you know, underneath us.
0: God or, damn, or,
1: or even more underneath Andrew Broom, who's you know seventeen,
0: who's amazing. Yet another good point by Frank Stoner. Jeez, this one's full of awesome shit. Um, just kind of like going to the... This, we'll do the last little bit here on the way out here. Second Place, do you want to talk more about Second Place? Because people who may have even been listening to this for the first time who didn't listen to the last one, we didn't say where Second Place is okay. and what it is and if you want to talk any more about that, and then that should be good.
1: Yeah, okay, yeah, that's that's perfect. That's, that's, that's great. So... Uh Second Place is a blog that I run at One Magazine. It's online. Uh, you can get there by going to the one uh, OneBladeMag.com to get to the main site. And you can either search my name or you can search for Second Place or you can go to the Blade Blog section and scroll down and click on my name, which is Frank Stoner. Um, and I write a blog about, um, well, let me back up. I am a linguist and a rhetorician and a rollerblader, and I write a blog about linguistics and rollerblading discourse and the rhetoric of rollerblading discourse. And I write these. I'm trying to get these done in seasons. I've done one season, and I'm shortly to start uh, coming out with the posts for the second season. Um, and it's uh, it's it's off-putting to a lot of people because uh, it's not really everyone's cup of tea. It's a blog for a lot of the people who I think listen to this podcast and the kinds of issues that you talk about and I think that we have uh, a lot of good overlap I think in the, the community of people who follow mushroom blading and the people who follow second place are uh, a lot of the same people let's say um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a blog that I work really hard on and uh, I'm very diligent about uh, answering any comments I take suggestions for articles if anybody wants to know or has a question about a rollerblading, a language-based or rhetoric-based uh, rollerblading issue? I'd be happy to address it, uh, either as a post or directly through email. Um, upcoming in the in the in the season of of second place articles that I'm going to write, um, I'm going to write an article on hipsterism, rollerblading, and the economy.
0: And what- <gasps> Oh shit!
1: <laughs> I'm gonna write the article that I've been talking about uh, throughout this podcast about cosmos and chaos, which yep. is an ancient Greek dichotomy that they thought constructed the universe, and I think uh, co-constructs rollerblading as well. And then also ties in with themes of anarchy and bigotry and so on that we've been talking about in this podcast. Um, I also want to write the podcast, or sorry, uh, the, the article about our demographics. I really have a couple of good things going to try to find out. Uh, who we are and how many of us are there, um, and that'll be neat. There's the the um, Force Dynamics article that I want to write about the box risers that we're going to do that I worked with a physicist, uh, Ph.D. candidate from the University of Texas on. Um, and I'm going to write... Um, I want to write one about... Um, a couple of different articles about rollerblading ideology, and uh, I also want to use one or two posts to uh, to do book reviews of Brian Kranz's books. I've been meaning to do that for a really long time. I, I bought his books um, about a year ago, and he, and he sent them out to me uh, with a really nice note, and we had a good chat, and I finally got to meet him at, uh, at uh, what's it called, um, They're called. Yeah, I, I actually went on that trip to meet him um, and wound up judging uh, bitter cold, um, but anyway, he's written several books, and he's got a book coming out. And I would really like to uh, do some book reviews uh, for for his books, and, and and there's another there's there's quite a bit of other stuff that's in the works. So so I'm I'm looking forward to the second season being a really good one, and uh, I hope that if anybody who's listening to this has anything that they want to hear about as far as trick or name origins or anything like that. I'm I'm pretty good about knowing a lot of the old school guys and can track down, uh, you know, the people who named things and why it got named, what it got named, and how things contra- linguistic controversies of that sort, uh, and how that stuff has materialized. So I'll probably do a couple of those, and uh, once there's about ten, I'll probably take another six months off and then do a third season after that. Um, but one thing one thing that I do want to say is that from just from doing the the the, the last podcast. Uh, a, good, a good bunch of people got in touch with me, which I think is fantastic. I, I welcome any, any, uh, any kind of contact from anybody who wants to uh, send me an email. You can find me on Facebook or uh, you can send me a direct email to f.stoner at gmail.com, uh, which is everywhere online. Um, if you have any questions or if you have anything that you want to talk to me about, I'd be happy to talk to you about them or write a post about them or just email with you about them. Uh, I would shout out to three people in particular. There's a guy named Joey Renslin who got in touch with me. Uh, he's from Houston. I think I might have just said that. Um, another guy from Germany whose name is Flo Butner, um, got in touch with me to ask some questions um, about wheel and bearing design. And uh, another guy from San Francisco who I didn't know. He's, his name is uh, Nate Hurst, and he just recently got in touch with me. And I actually have an email to send back to him um, but uh, those guys have been really supportive and, uh, you know, all the Austin guys have been really supportive and stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's been a lot of fun writing these posts and, and I'm hoping to try to expand a little bit and get more people to, to read it. And uh, actually, Joey, I should, I should thank you for having me on again because this has been, it's been fun. Oh. You're a, you're a great conversation partner. You bring, you bring a lot to the table.
0: Oh, I can be verbose and and uh, make weird connections, but thank you. Um, the the last one, a lot of people requested uh, Frank Stoner as as a regular guest, so it was just because there was such a big gap between the last one. We do want to have you on regularly, so. Um, well, yeah,
1: I'd be I'd be happy to do it, and uh, it's it's good because it it. it, it, it helps me it helps me kind of uh stay on top of things actually i i wrote the the intro to the second place second season uh right before our last podcast thinking okay well i this is a good opportunity to fucking make myself do this shit and actually get it done uh and and you know i haven't i didn't fucking do anything after that i just uh i just got really busy and it got away from me but uh now that we've done it again i think it's a good time to get the second season up and running so so if, if, if the mushroom blading uh Podcast become a catalyst for me to write more stuff. That would definitely be good for me.
0: Yeah, I want that to happen. Just because selfishly, I want to read more of your stuff. <laughs> and
1: uh, some of these things are going to be really good. I think that there's there's a lot of complexity to a lot of these things that uh, it's really easy to look past. And uh, I, I don't I don't think that anyone out there is stupid, and I don't think that anybody out there needs to be t- talked down to or told anything. But uh, this is, this is uh, I think it's really interesting stuff, and, and there's a lot that we can learn from it, but one of the, one of the things that I think is most important about it is, is to show people what they already know. You know, no one, no one out there, I, I might be, uh, until today, and apart from some conversations with uh, guys here in Austin, um, I might be the only person who actually knows that I have native speaker intuition for rollerblading language and rollerblading discourse, but everyone out there who's listening to this does. If you're listening to this, you can put it on your resume that you have native speaker intuition for rollerblading discourse.
0: That I think that's probably one of my favorite things about about doing the podcast with you is uh, the way I think about skating um, changes, but in a way that I didn't. Yeah, I didn't realize my own intelligence through skating, um, and it gets me excited to go skating too. Every time yeah. I talk to you. The simplicity well, of doing a nice grind or going to a box session—it's sometimes I, because I've been doing it for so long, I might get down on those things, and and the way that you put it into words, I don't know, it gets me really stoked on it again. So.
1: Well, if I, I'm thrilled to hear that, if anybody, if anybody who listens to this goes and puts on their skates and goes and skates a p rail after this, I will do a cartwheel. You can, you can, if you go and do it, send me an email, and I will do a cartwheel.
0: Okay, you've heard it here.
1: Yeah, you've He'll heard it. it here, folks. Okay, I'll, I'll take the I'll take the first five because I'm not gonna blow up my groin doing cartwheels for. No, you
0: know. no, we need you to keep skating. So thank you, Frank, and uh, we'll be in touch soon for more podcasting.
1: That sounds great, Joey. Thanks okay. very much.
0: Later.